Hi, everyone, and welcome to Life Origami Podcast. Today, we have Chris Wilson as our guest, and we'll be talking to you about the topic of starting a business in 2021 and getting you from an idea into a business. Welcome, Chris. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you as well. Um, when I was uh, talking to you last time in preparation for uh, for this episode, we've touched upon so many important ideas that for many are uh, like a matter of uh, pivotal change in their lives, right? With everything that happened in 2020, many found themselves in a situation where they need to change a direction. They uh, need to start something fresh because they were potentially like in an offline environment. They entered a online environment and now they have to change everything in their lives. So that will be today's topic where we will discuss with Chris everything that's got to do with this transition with that potential pivot in your life, how to do it, or what is practical, what is useful, what to implement, what to look at, and everything that got to do with that transition. Chris, tell us a little bit about your background and how did you start your journey into business? Sure. You know, by, uh, by trade, I'm a guitarist. I went to Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, when you're in grammar school, high school, you know, before you go to college, they say, you know, never go into music, never go into art, because when you graduate, there's no jobs. And they are 100% true. There's no jobs waiting for you. You know, like if you're an engineer, if you're doing something in business, if you're in accounting, you know, you're graduating in May, you've been to recruiting sessions, you've probably lined up your first job. You know, when you graduate as an artist, there's, you know, it's like, hi, here's your diploma. Have a nice life. And so uh, when I realized that, I didn't want to be one of these people who worked odd jobs. So I thought, well, I'm an expert guitarist and my dad owns a small business, owns a small business. And so I grew up working in that. So the natural thing to me was like, okay, well, I know how to play guitar. So I'm going to start a guitar school. So mm. I, 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 that was, that was. How was that connection to me? Like, uh, right. The, the idea is right. A small business. And then you were mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm an artist. How did you realize yeah. that you can open your own school? What, what was know, the mindset the about? Sure. You know, my, my dad owned, opened his first company when I was 11 years old. And so the one thing he's like, is you know, he's an, he's an insurance. And so he said, okay, so we need to get clients. And this is 1978. There's no internet. Uh, so we did direct mail. So my dad had a business directory. He specialized in workers comp in, in insuring your employees basically against injury for big corporations. So he went through a catalog and got the, you know, they published mailing lists. My Aunt Jean typed every envelope up on the typewriter. My cousin was a printer. Uh, my brother Rob folded every envelope. I stuffed every envelope. Someone else sealed every, my other brother sealed it. My mom put the stamp on it. We did direct mail. And every month my dad would do uh, lead generation ads. He did newsletters, all this stuff. And so I grew up with that. And I just assumed that everybody went home and did direct mail with their parents. And in the summer, <laughs> you know, I just thought that's what people did. I, you know, in my mind, it was like, oh, this must be, you know, I'm 11 years old, but everybody owns a business and just works, you know, does stuff. And he had an office and stuff, but it was like, we were there in the summer. It was our summer job. We worked for him. We went to work. Uh, I, I always joke because in uh, school starts at 8 a.m. in the United States, but in the summer when we were on holiday, my dad starts work at 7 a.m. So we actually had to get up earlier in the summer when we were on holiday to go work for my dad. 
And he would take us around to see his clients and you'd go to these family owned businesses and it would be like the, the two adults talking and then here's the kids like my dad's the insurance guy and, and your dad owns a store and we'd hang out and talk about how like, why are we up so early? Like when it's mm -hmm. summer vacation, but uh, you know, all those people, we grew up in a small <laughs> business environment. So for me, it made complete sense. I was like, okay, so I'm going to start marketing my guitar school. I'm an expert guitarist. I really knew a lot about it. I had given some guitar lessons. I understood how to teach it. So I'm like, okay, so I need to, and I have no money. So I'm going to start this guitar school. So I, I typed up a flyer and then used the photocopier to, to blow it up. Cause remember there was no Microsoft word back then. At least nobody had, I didn't know anyone who had a computer. You had a computer at your office uh, and started networking with networking with local guitar shops and said, Hey, look, I'm a guitar teacher. You know, if you send me clients, I'll make sure they always come back and buy from you. So it, it means super basic guerrilla marketing. Uh, Any, let, let, let's stop here. I want to sure. uh, like um, this is an important thing. I believe that many people who start businesses in 2021 they totally don't know it because I believe the majority of people who want to start a business they don't have a business background or anyone in the family who did business they don't sure. remember or even know what was it like without the internet. So yeah. uh, can, can you tell a little bit more about this guerrilla marketing and what did you sure. do to get clients back then? Sure. And it was like, you know, I had flyers where you tore off the little tab at the bottom. I had business cards uh, with an offer on the back, which I actually still have the same business cards. Uh, you know, and on the front has your information, you flip it over on the back and there's a coupon and offer. I mean, I was handing those out everywhere I went. Uh, I did product demos like at guitar stores, like they say, oh, we have a new guitar. And I said, oh, well, you, you know, and you have amateur people who can't play or people like to play. So you want someone to come in and play who knows how to play. And they, you know, ideally, you know, you'd have someone famous come in with it. The stores didn't have any money either. So they had me come in because I did it mm -hmm. for free because in exchange, I would hand out business cards and, and get clients. And so this was the era where there was no Zoom. There wasn't no internet. So you're getting around driving around in your car all day trying not to get parking tickets, right? So it was, it, was, it was a lot of hustle and it was a lot of stuff that was really low cost and free uh, classified ads. You know, and then once I had some money came in, I got some clients. So then I said, oh, I can run a classified ad. Well, and mm -hmm. so I would test the classified ad and see, well, what would people respond to? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if people remember old school classified ads, you know, it'd be uh, pages of the newspaper and there would be a section under services, you know, and it would be like guitar lessons and you had three lines plus your phone number. And so, okay, what were the best three lines? So I started trying to figure out, okay, what's the best three lines? What, mm. what would get the most phone calls? Uh, you know, and those ads were, I don't know, $25 a week or something like that. I forget what they were, but it was just things like that. And you just kept growing it and finding different ways to do marketing. Uh, I, I, I believe like currently in uh, in 2021 is also one of the most powerful things that you can do, especially when you're just starting out, when you, it's a fresh business. It's all about partnering up with other people who are around your industry, right? So it yeah. wasn't like you, when you were a guitar teacher and started that guitar school, it wasn't like you were only going around and trying and looking at other guitar schools. You were actually yeah. looking at places that that were complementary to guitar schools, right? Like the it's, guitar it's, shop. Yeah. And yeah. you went there and you partnered with them on a mutual benefit basis, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I exactly. believe that for many who do not realize that business is also about looking not just only at your competitors, but also looking at complementary places that you can partner up with 
and then share clients with each other. So their clients are not only where your competitors are, but your clients are where the complementary products are. And that's a wonderful share. Can you tell yeah. a little bit more of what can people implement like today, take into account that COVID restrictions are in place and uh, how can people also partner up and look into partnerships in their industry that are complementary to what they're doing? Sure. You know, it's funny. Uh, we in, in the United States, we call this a joint venture. And I just did a video on this yesterday on my Facebook page. So um, there's two ways to approach what we call joint ventures. Uh, and I've done them both and they both work. Uh, in my business, it's a service business. I'm in a three mile radius. And so like things like newspaper ads, like advertising in the city newspaper in Chicago is very expensive. And for me, it wouldn't make sense because you know, I'm in a small area and it's covering 2 million people. Uh, if I reached out to other people who did what I did, but in another community, uh, I could afford to buy, say, a full-page ad in a newspaper, run the ad and say, hey, choose one of your preferred providers in your neighborhood. So I could team up with 10 other schools and we would cut our cost, right? If, mm. if the ad is, if the ad is say, $2,000, well, you know, $2,000 for one ad, especially 20 years ago is a lot of money. If I did that with 10 other schools who uh, would all benefit from the same ad, now my cost is only $200. Ooh, and that's they, actually a very interesting idea. Right? They call it co-op advertising sometimes. You'll see it with, say, car dealers will do it, right? They'll, uh, you'll say a Mercedes-Benz commercial, and they'll, and they'll say they'll run a TV commercial that I'm sure was very expensive, and they'll say, go to the Mercedes-Benz dealer near you. And they list all the four or five dealers. Um, and you're going to go to the one closest to you. And so everyone sort of mu is mutually beneficial to everybody. Mm. And so that's really common. And that's within your own industry where same industry, but uh, they're not your direct competitor. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're 10 miles away, 15 miles away. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing you can do is look at businesses in your immediate community that aren't competing with you, but sell to the same audience. So in my case, uh, the music school that I have, the Academy of Music and Art, uh, sells, uh, our clients are mainly kids. So what are other kid businesses? So that might be a martial mm -hmm. arts studio is a really obvious one. Like kids are in martial arts. So I could go to my local martial arts person and say, Hey, I have an email list. You have an email list. Let's combine forces and we can promote our summer programs together. Mm -hmm. So I, if, if I have 5,000 people on my email list, you know, maybe 300 of them are really interested in my summer programs the others aren't they some of them what if 100 of them are interested in a martial arts program in the hmm. summer right and so that's an email that's that doesn't cost anything and we can do that vice versa and i'm not losing out on anything the 100 people that bought the martial arts programs they're not going to buy my music programs anyway because they want you know they were done or they're already doing something else uh so you can find other people who are complementary who serve the same market uh, there's an orthodontist in my neighborhood. They do the braces, you know, straightening of teeth. And uh, they approached me about doing a joint venture because they're like, well, we serve kids. It's, you know, we, you know, that's 99% of our business are kids. And so they propose that we can market to each other or have signage in our offices or have some kind of offer or share mailing list. And so mm. that's something we're exploring right now. And they're really nearby. And this is a very smart orthodontist. He had a marketing person go around to all the business. So, so I was cold called. I was surprised a woman came in and she had a business card and she had a whole presentation and, and she's like, here's what we propose, but we're open to anything to promote this business and do joint venture. Mm -hmm. And smart. so, yeah, very smart move. Uh, smart move hiring a marketing person, I thought. Uh, so those are things you can do and those are no cost. So in my case, when I started, I went to the guitar school or guitar stores and said, hey, look, I have a school and I can, if someone's in lessons, 
they're going to stick with guitar. Cause you know, you, most people, they say what like 80% of the people quit everything. If you join, if you joined a gym January 1st for the new year, 80% of you are going to stop going by February 1st. If you buy a guitar, you're going to, it's going to sit in your room for two weeks. You know, you're never, after a while, you're, it's going to be hard. If you're in guitar lessons, you're going to need strings. You're going to need picks. You might get into it. You're going to need accessories. You're going to need to buy all those things. And, and there was no internet. So it's like, Hey, you know, you need to go. Remember that guy you bought the guitar from go back mm -hmm. and see him. He'll hook you up and buy, buy some strings. Tell him I said, hello, just, you know, and so that way when he says, Oh, Chris is high. It's like, Oh, Hey, the phone rings. Hey, thanks for sending me a client. So, and then they, they might be really into it. So they might say, Oh, you know, I want a nicer guitar, you know, cause I have really nice guitars. So they're like, Oh, I want one of these guitars like Steve Ray Vaughan has or Jimi Hendrix. So now they're going to spend two or $3,000 and that just became a very valuable client. You know, mm -hmm. if it's a, if it's 60% markup, you know, those clients become very valuable very quickly. Yeah. And here is uh, like an, another idea that for, for the listeners out there, it's not all for money. It's, uh, yeah. and, and you don't have to be greedy in, in a sense yeah, where no. you, you cross promote, right? Where you cross promote and the core idea is where you send them a client and you don't expect them to pay you anything and the yeah, same nothing. vice versa. So there are right. those kinds of partnerships as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, and the other thing too is, you know, if, if you tell a client, uh, you don't want them going to a store and like a salesman just selling them something that they don't need or don't want or trying to upsell them. You want it to be, you're going to send them to someone who's going to sell them what they need. So you have a trusted person where you can say, hey, I can send all my clients to this guy. When you go in there, ask for Sam or wherever, you know, because he's going to look after you and, and just drop mm -hmm. my name immediately. And that way you don't have to worry. He's not going to sell you something overpriced. He's not going to overcharge you. He's an honest guy, you know, and so you feel comfortable then going because it almost feels like sometimes you go in there and it's like, you know, what did these things cost? What am I supposed to get? You know, yeah. I don't want to buy the wrong thing. Uh, so yeah, having that, you know, and, and it's a face to face transaction. You know, I think a lot of times people, especially things like guitars and instruments, you, buying online just isn't very fun. You want to go there and you want to pick it up, you know, and try it out. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. I just came up with an idea. I don't know. I, I was just struck with Epiphany. Well, what about if uh, currently in the online space, um, there was an offline guitar uh, shop and basically now it cannot serve people, but it has their clerk that is serving, uh, that can serve uh, their customers. So sure. why not open up an online store and potentially they do have one, but use their client manager to be online and be able to go into, let's say, Zoom calls for five or 10 yeah. minutes with the client and oh, give yeah. them a quick consultation about what yeah. can they buy, what they can look for in their shop and sure. not just like leave them with the shop and do nothing, but actually provide yeah. that a little bit extra service that can go a long way for the purchases. You know, I can tell you nobody's doing that word, but you know, let's say if I'm going to buy on, you know, because everyone has a brick and mortar and an online component now, mm -hmm. but if you want to see someone, talk to someone, you got to drive to the store yes. and they might, and they might not have the product or whatever. Uh, so yeah, to be able to do like an online consultation, go, oh, you know, hold on. I pulled it from the warehouse. Here's the guitar. Yeah. And, that would be, be, able to that say, would be yeah, something really like powerful, I believe. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, because then online becomes the same experience as, you know, you're not talking to a little live chat box. Usually it's like in the lower corner, you've got this little chat box and you're trying yeah. to type and, you know, so yeah, that is a great idea, actually. Mm -hmm. I hope someone uses that one. Yeah, Definitely. there's an opportunity right there. Yeah, business opportunity right there. Super. So let's let's continue with the idea. So you were building up your guitar school, you drove around, you parted out. What happened next? 
you know, it just, it kept growing. You know, I realized the, you know, the power, trying to get people to do referrals and, uh, so giving people referral cards saying, okay, you know, tell your friends. And so it, you, you, it's almost, you know, you're just building an audience and building followers at, at some point in 1992, and I was doing this out of my apartment. I had like 50 or 60 clients. I was making a living and my office building or office building, my apartment building I was living on said, Hey, look, uh, giving one or two lessons, you know, it's fine, but you're running a business out of, you know, you can't run a business yeah. out of this. And so at that point, I actually rented a commercial location. I rented just an office. And uh, then I had a commercial phone. So then the kind of the next phase where things really jumped up was we used to have this thing called the Yellow Pages. I don't know if people remember yeah. the Yellow Pages of the phone book. But I was listening to the Yellow Pages. And the phone rang every day from the Yellow Pages. And so then I started figuring out, like, oh, you know, I could do add some lines, just like the classified ads. Mm -hmm. You know, I could add some line. I could add a small ad. I could add a bigger ad. And, you know, that initial... A flood of students as the business really grew dramatically was when I sort of took the risk, got some more space, and started spending money on Yellow Pages ads. Um, that's that's had, another I, thing that I believe uh, people should know, that there are these classified billboards that are online, and there oh, are really? many of them. And really? people can actually put their contact information even for free on those boards, and people yeah. do search for them. So that's also an, another thing to uh, to look into. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because while while I'm growing in the business with the yellow pages, this is like now it's like 1996, let's say. And so now that I have, I'm paying rent on an office space, and I have a commercial phone, and I have you know stuff, commercial mm -hmm. taxes. Now I like need the clients. Like this isn't just some fun thing. It's like I've like bought a house and stuff <laughs> like that. I have I'm married. I have bills, and so at the time my uh, wife was in architecture school at University of Illinois. She went back to school, and they had the internet there and a computer room. So I would drop her off at class, and then I would go use their computer room using her ID, and. I remember going on all these, like, this is before people really had websites. So you had like an AOL homepage. So mm -hmm. I set up a homepage. I remember I, I was there every day for like weeks, built an AOL homepage, uh, signed up for all these like, you know, online billboards, guitar lessons, all this stuff. And I then this is it. The phone is going to ring. I can't wait. And it was like cricket chirping. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody called. No one was really, because people didn't have high speed internet. People, there was no Google. Because remember when the internet came out, there was no Google. So you could, unless you knew the exact address of the website, people couldn't find you. Mm -hmm. And so I remember building a website with my brother. We bought a network solutions template and built out a website and put all the stuff on there. And it was like, they have the little traffic meter. You can see your web traffic. And I had like no traffic. I mean, like <laughs> nobody was going to my website. And I, you know, and it was like telling my clients, hey, I have a website now. And they're like, so what? Like what you're a guitar teacher, what do you need a website for? And so it really was, once Google became, Google was really the next evolution where it was like, okay, we've done all this marketing. We were still doing flyers. We're doing door hangers. We're doing newspaper ads. We're doing yellow pages ads. We're doing all these different things. Uh, when Google came out and you could actually, people could actually find your stuff. That was when we went more, that was sort of the next evolution in business where it's like, okay, we have, you know, people can actually go to our site, find us online, get a lot of information and call us uh, or email us or something like that. That was sort of evolution 2.0 where this is before YouTube. So we, there weren't video, uh, mm -hmm. but there was actually the ability uh, to actually people could put in their email and get like a free report. You know, they sort of these lead generation magnets. And uh, it's funny because it was all at the time very expensive 
And now I think I, I have a GoDaddy website for my coaching business. It's like $19 a month and it does everything, you know? So where it's gone, I think it's, it's easier now than ever to kind of get like that end of things. And cheaper. Yeah. And you could still do the guerrilla marketing stuff where you're out hustle and hand, you know, and, and networking, joint venturing, the free stuff is good too. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Let's touch upon the idea where, uh, when was the, the, let's say, uh, change in your business where you realized that, okay, I'm full in terms of your, your time is all booked up. You, you're just fully like your day starts and your day ends and you know that you have no spare time. When did you understand yeah. that you want to grow your business and how did you approach that? Uh, you know, it was 1996 and um, yeah, my schedule was full and I, and it was, I worked Monday through Thursday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I worked in bands and I performed and I did concerts and stuff. So if I was out working with the band till two in the morning, I really didn't want to, on a Friday, I didn't want to get up and teach at 9am, drive to, I leave my house, drive to my office, all this stuff. So uh, I hired somebody. I, there was a guitarist I knew who had been one of my students and he had graduated from school and he was in the same boat. You know, he didn't have a job. And I said, well, you know, I'll pay you $25 an hour to, to come teach guitar on Saturdays. And so, you know, in order to hire an employee, that was when I had to incorporate you know, and then it was like, okay, now I can advertise even more because I could fill them up on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. And then there was a guy who came in on Fridays. And then uh, as you know, a, another office became available in the building. And so I went from one office where I was in one, you know, four days a week, and someone else was in three days, to I had two offices. So it's like, okay, this year, I'm going to double the size of my enrollment. And uh, and it just went from there. There was, there was a piano, I remember there was a piano in my office and people were like, Oh, can you give my kid piano lessons? You're a great teacher. And we don't like our piano teacher. And I was thinking why well, I, I, at that point wasn't teaching piano. So I hired a piano teacher and then it was, it went from, you know, Chris Wilson guitar school to Chris Wilson school of music. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get four offices. The building had some space on the second floor. So I went from one office to two offices. Now I've got four rooms. Wow. Wait, right, let, let's, 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 let's uh, wait here for a second. Sure. Um, <clears throat> let's discover this idea where you've started hiring. How yeah. did that process go? How did you manage to say to yourself, like, I know that this guy can do his job well. Like, how did you discover that? Did you like, uh, did you go through some kind of interview process where you clarified it that he can teach, yeah. he can play? Like, how did you approach it? So initially I hired people I knew. So I was like, you know, I, like the first person I hired was, was a former student. And so we were just guitar. And because I had been at that point, say teaching guitar for, you know, six years or 10 years, just as the business grew from 96 to 2002, where I was like trying to double in size every year, I had enough people in my network where I was able to hire people. And along the way, sometimes I made hiring mistakes because I, I had never, remember, I have never had a job. So I've never been interviewed, right? Or, or I've, I've interviewed some teaching positions, but it's like, I've, I have never at this point had a corporate job, like an employee handbook. I didn't know that. I've never seen an employee handbook before. I didn't have, I still didn't have a business plan. I never, the first time I wrote a business plan, I went to a, one of these marketing business conferences and, and they had us write a business plan and I was sitting with all my friends who own businesses. And that's like, I've been in business for 16 years. I never wrote a business plan, you know, and they're having us write. And so we all sat there, wrote a business plan and stuck it in a drawer. And I've never looked at it, you know, and I remember talking to my dad and, and I said, dad, you ever wrote a business plan? He said, no, 
you know, <laughs> you, you start the business because you don't really know, you know, it's like you figure it out. So I figured out how to do interviews and you'd read a book or you'd go to a seminar or you'd, you know, say, okay, well, if I'm interviewing people, well, I'm not interviewing, you know, what questions do you ask? You know, and some, you know, you can read two books and get two completely different responses. You know, one person says, ask these questions. Another person says, no, no, that, those are the wrong questions. You don't want to ask this. You want to ask that. So I had this realization that pretty much no one has any idea what they're doing. Like it's, it's the people who are doing it have to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you go to business school, I don't know that they have a class on how to interview people, right? I mean, there's probably a class on how to do your accounting. Uh, so a lot of those things you just figure out and you, you've taken, you know, you're always reading books. You might be attending classes or seminars or doing something, but you have to really take all this information in and decide, okay, what's the right move? And, you know, what are your instincts with this employee? maybe have them interview with a second person. Uh, at this point, I have a manager working for me now. So I do, she does the phone call, she talks to them, she interviews them, and then they interview me. And so we have two different people interviewing them. And then after the interview, we sit down and I say, well, I got this, I got that, what'd you think of this? You know, and so I have a second person and we're not in the same interview. We, I don't know the process she uses for interviewing uh, people, but I get then, like a really clear opinion from somebody. And, and she has a background. She managed like stores and retail mm -hmm. stores. So she has an interviewing background. It's funny, she's half my age and she has never owned a company, but has interviewed more people than I have. Because uh, in retail, you know, if you're in a retail store, they have, I don't know, whatever, something crazy, like 300% turnover a year. So she's interviewing, you know, two or three people a week, mm -hmm. you know? So you're interviewing a couple hundred people a year. Uh, so that really helps having someone who has that experience. Yeah, because along the way, you you know, I've definitely had some people where it's like, you know, made some hiring mistakes, you know, mm -hmm. along the way. So, so <laughs> yeah. did I get correctly? So in O2, you, you've grown into an art school, right? Yeah, so it was, we went from guitar and then it was around 90, 90 96 would have been when I started hiring people and it grew as a guitar school. Mm -hmm. And uh, it kept growing and growing and growing. And then it was around that 2001, 2002, where it was like, okay, you know, I'm going to expand to these other instruments. People were asking for all these other instruments. Uh, there's a cut, there aren't really a lot of people doing this. Uh, a lot of the customers aren't satisfied with what they're getting from other places. And so that was when I started really hiring, you know, piano teachers, voice teachers, things like that. And that's just for perspective for everyone who is listening. Uh, this is eight years. Yes. Since yeah, eight you years started. Of being, yeah. So since six, you started. Yeah. Six in my apartment or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever, four in my apartment, two more on my own. And then six as building it with just, you know, adding an employee every year. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to take this to the next level. So it's been whatever it is, you know, uh, you know, it's been, since I started in my apartment in 1990, it's 12 years later. Mm. And it's like, where it's like, okay, I'm going to really expand into a whole nother market. And that was where the real, the evolution happened quicker than two yeah. years later, we added an art department. I took my name off the business. It was no longer Chris Wilson. It was now the brand, the Academy of Music and Art that exists today. Mm. So two years later, uh, we had an art program Two, you know, year after that summer programs, two years after that, a dance program. So by 2007, you know, it was music, art, dance, summer programs. We added a theater program uh, a few years ago. I think that was 2012. And then we just kept taking more space. Mm -hmm. uh, there were, you know, a tenant would move out and I'd grab a couple more, you know, they'd be redoing the second floor of my offices. It's like, oh, you know, if you're not using that space, can I grab that space? So I didn't go out and rent 2,500 square feet or 3,000 square feet. You know, I rented a couple hundred, a couple hundred more. 
Uh, and it's funny because you used to see it. If you, you can't really notice it now, but you could see it in the carpet before I recarpeted the whole space. <laughs> you could see where the carpet was cut and people would walk by the carpet, you know, and I was like, this is the most important line because this was the school ended here and now it's here, you know, and mm. every, every time carpet cut is like, this is a new portion. And it was like a nice reminder for me that it's like, oh, this started in one room. Wow. And, I, and for everyone who is yeah. doing a, and, uh, a service I business. I was given a tour the other day. Yeah. yeah. So for everyone who is doing a service-based business and yeah, they no, no. are the expert, this is how long it really takes. It's not that yeah. you, you become a success uh, as a rule in a year or in two or in five. It can take yeah. a decade before you yeah. actually solidify yourself on a local market and yeah. become well-known, well-contacted, yeah. well-resourced, and then you 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 get that exponential growth where you invite more people in and it doesn't yeah. mean of course that you need that amount of time and it's not doable quicker it's doable quicker yeah. it's doable even within a year it, oh, it yeah. all demands on your experience right because you were just diving into the business without any prior business uh, education and you were yeah. trying to figure it out by yourself step by step doing this doing that do, and eventually growing uh, yeah. by the means of your learnings in your experience yeah. Definitely. Well, and some of it too is space. So I had one room, so there was only so big one room could get. Uh, and there was, um, you know, when you have two rooms, there's only so big you could, and then space has to become available. And so a lot of it was like, you know, do you, you don't, do you want to like move, you know? So okay, I've got two rooms, I need four. Well, I could mm. wait a year and get not move, or I could mm. move at the end of my, so, you know, you're signing leases and things like that. So sometimes mm -hmm. that will, uh, you know, if you have a small enough space that you can afford, mm -hmm. it's better. It might be better for some people than saying, especially if you have no money, because I had no money. So I never borrowed money from a bank. I didn't run up my credit card. So a lot of people will be like, like I'll work with talk to startup people and they'll be like, well, you know, I'm going to get a small business loan, you know, for $200,000. You know, it's like, really, you're going to put your house up for collateral. It's like, you know, there's an, you know, you could, Take a take a page out of Apple. Steve Jobs started Apple with uh, with his partner in their garage. You know, it's like there's nothing wrong with starting a business in their garage. Almost every business that's somewhere, you know, Amazon I think started mm. in the guy's garage, right? He was selling, mailing them. He was boxing up the books and mailing them. So the idea that you have to like lay out all this cash and do you know you know borrow money against your house. Get I mean if if you're comfortable doing that, that's cool. But you know things start small. Starbucks started with one store. You know, and, and Schultz, the guy who started the Starbucks, he was in there, uh, you know, handing out cups of coffee the first day. He was the barista, you know, pouring your coffee and telling you about, people are like, what's a latte? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, he was there. You know, Ray Kroc was, you know, picking up garbage in his parking lot of his first McDonald's, right? They showed him out there like, you know, he's arriving at his first franchise. So start small. The idea that you have to start this giant company uh, is crazy. You know, people forget that like companies like Microsoft and Apple started in the 70s. I think it was mid 70s. Those companies started in a garage, you know, selling a couple computers and, you know, it took 10 years for them. And people think it's like, oh, that when they went public in 1986, it exploded. But like, they didn't just like start the company and go public. That was a long road uh, of getting there. So uh, that, yeah, that's, you don't that's a really great point, especially when we look at those successful people who we look at as icons of, uh, of the industry or in icons of business. Uh, we need to understand that their journey was multiple decades long where they yeah. came to this experience of actually putting it all together and starting. 
yeah. one of the things that uh, I, I believe for many would be really valuable this year, uh, if you never touch autobiographies of the famous people that you, you let's say, uh, look at as examples of success, take their book, read their autobiography, and you will get so much insights into how they started so that you can really understand that where you are currently in your business, it's all right. And the, yeah, you, it will take time. Definitely. Well, and and if you're looking for uh, the Starbucks founder, Schultz, his autobiography is great. Ray Kroc, Grinded, uh, Grinded Out, uh, the autobiography of the guy who started McDonald's. That's a great one. I mean, their autobiographies are a great source. Uh, Dell, I'm a big fan of the autobiography, Dell from Dell Computers. Uh, you know, Dell Computers, hey, he's one of the richest guys in the world. He started making computers while a college student in his apartment. Mm. You know, like he, he was like making them and his parents thought he was going to medical school and he was actually in his apartment. <laughs> you know, in Austin, Texas, making computers, you know, custom-built computers. Uh, and I don't know that he even had a computer science background because he was really supposed to be going to medical school. Uh, but yeah, any of those autobiographies, anytime you can read them, it's very interesting. Or even, you know, music autobiographies. You know, you could check out someone like Keith Richards. I mean, the amount of work people do in the entertainment industry, the songwriters, the musicians, you know, we think of them as like this overnight success, making millions of dollars. The reality is the amount of time they spend in their bedroom practicing their guitar, learning the right songs, playing in their garage, playing to an audience of no people. By the time you see them on television, you know, they have 10,000 hours of practice and rehearsal behind them. You know, it's not like there are people like, oh, you're so gifted. It's like, no, we just, you know, worked 10,000 hours. <laughs> you just, you just didn't see it. You know? <laughs> you're seeing sort of the results. Uh, yeah. No, no one really looks at the backstage of what is happening. They just see the, oh, yeah. the beautiful package. Yeah. So yeah, you never realize like just how much work, uh, you know, people did, you know, I think Steve Jobs and I, I can't remember his partner's name, uh, but they Wozniak? made a computer. Wozniak. Yeah. They would build the computer in the garage and then they would go to a computer store and try to get the computer store to sell it. You know, so it's like, hey, we want you to sell this computer. And so they're, you know, trying to, you know, so they're literally door to door cold calling computer stores going, hey, look, here's a computer. Wouldn't this be awesome if you sold it? You know, and uh, I mean, that's just how it started. So, I mean, yeah. that's not very glamorous and look where it is now. So, <laughs> definitely. yeah, it's definitely. Yeah. So if you're starting a business, I mean, don't think it has to be huge mm. uh, and, and be proud of starting that. You know, you, you make that first sale. It's an amazing thing. Let's continue into discovering where did you go from that scale? So you've, you've, as you said, you've expanded, you've became an art school. Uh, yeah. What happened next in your career, in your business? Where did you go from that? You know, the, the big transition was when I took my name off the business and we became the brand, the Academy of Music and Art. And there was just, I couldn't really, I didn't have, I, at this point, I, I, my daughter was born. Uh, she was approaching school age, so she was five or six years old. So this is 2005, 2006. Uh, teachings at night, and so I had to sort of take myself out of the teaching and sort of become the business owner. And I attempted to be the manager, found out I hate being a manager. Uh, the admin stuff was just not for me. So it became new ways to grow the business, the marketing side of things, learning the financial. At some point, you know, the financials became more complex, and so I learned how to do those. I actually ended up taking my, my local community college some accounting classes uh, just because I needed to understand account because I had no idea what, how that worked. Someone else did all that. And um, a lot of my friends were actually victims of their business owners and they were 
their people were stealing from them. One lady lost a mm. hundred thousand, one person lost 80,000. I thought, wow, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, like, I really need to learn how to do this. So I learned the financial side of the business, the bookkeeping side, bookkeeping side, and separated that out of the business so that the financials are done, you know, not by people on site. So I made sort of that firewall. They don't even, the, the people who do this as those don't know each other, they, they never meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but taking myself out of the business where, uh, I don't really, or I saw very few clients. Like every time a, if, if a client moved on because they graduated from school or whatever, I didn't replace that time and gradually, you know, went from four days a week to two days a week to one day a week to two or three hours a week and focused on just growing the business uh, and being there during the day or even working remotely at home and really trying to come up with new ways to do things with the business. Let's talk about two things here. Uh, one of them was where you're living, leaving the business of teaching and becoming a business owner. And the other thing being uh, understanding what, what are your qualities as a business manager and what are your, let's say, core competencies and how did you manage all of that? Let's look at, at first, right, the, the transitioning from an expert to a business owner. Sure. Why? And how did you, like, was it, because guitar, was it your passion? Was being a guitarist your passion, it's right? Still, yes, it still is. Look, there's piles of guitars right behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there's Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, I, I am still, and I do still work as a guitarist, but it was really just time. You know, mm-hmm. there was like, so I, I was never one of those people who said, you know, I want to, you know, people work 80 hours a week. It wasn't practical to say, okay, I'm going to get up every morning and do the business of running a business. And then I'm going to go to the, and I could do that anywhere. I ran my company from a, for a summer from Venice, Italy. I've run it from Budapest. I've run it from Paris. I didn't do a very good job in Paris because I was out in Paris having fun. So <laughs> I did manage to do the payroll, but not much else got done, though I did have a good time. Uh, but they're just, you know, so one was time and two is my daughter was in school. And so she was gone all day. So if I worked till 10 o'clock at night, I would never see her except on weekends. And I really didn't want to do that. And, and the idea of doing everything was exhausting. Mm. Um, you know, and, and at some point I actually, it's funny, I had a glass break in my hand. And so I've got this scar as a reminder, but there was a period of time where I couldn't hold a guitar pick. You know, when you play the guitar, yes. you use a, a pick and I couldn't hold a pick for a while. And so I couldn't work. And so uh, I was like, well, and this was earlier on. I was like, wow, you know, I really need to set this business up so that like, you know, if something happens to me, how would the business exist? Mm. You know, and it was one of these things like I'm a weightlifter. So you'd smack a weight on it and you'd be like, you know, mm-hmm. your, your hand would go numb for like three days or something because there's nerve damage. And so, you know, you can't run a business where it made me think not necessarily, I wasn't afraid that like I would never be able to play guitar again, but from a business standpoint, it's mm-hmm. like, wow, relying on one person is never a good thing. So I was like, I really need to spread things around, mm. you know, because if you have an injury, you can go in and work two or three hours and, and get through it and it would be fine. But to say, okay, I'm going to have to go work 40 hours, uh, you know, on top of your regular 40 hours of work, uh, you know, you'd lose your mind. So it was a combination of those things and, and wanting the business to become bigger. Uh, there was another reality I had, uh, check I had, I was working with a band and this was around, 2000, 2001. So as the business was really transitioning to other instruments besides the guitar, we were playing a concert and there was a DJ and there was the band I was in. And typically the DJ was the opening act and the band was the headliner. And the DJ played and the place went crazy. We got up and played and people were chanting for the DJ. We're playing the first song and they're like, DJ, DJ, clap. 
And that was like, this was a younger generation of kids. And I was like, this is a generation of kids who didn't grow up with bands. They grew up with a DJ. And I was like, I believe music is really, and in that moment, I was like, wow, what if music shifts away from guitar? And it did, right? I mean, guitar isn't the, guitar music is gone. But I was like, you know, I really need to start making some adjustments, career adjustments as well. And I think that influenced me in saying, okay, we need to expand things. I need something else in the school besides guitar. Because if the Mm -hmm. public loses interest in guitar over the course of time, these people are going to have children. If they didn't, they're not playing their kids' guitar music. These kids, are, this is my next generation of clients. Mm-hmm. You know, their children are my next generation of clients. Uh, that doesn't look good for the business. And wow, we have that, seen- that, that's that's a, that's a powerful uh, idea here that many don't re- actually realize that business yeah. is ever evolving, and you have to stay up to date with what is happening in the world. And yeah. uh, you did it through actually being a part of the world through being in a band. And yeah, you, being, you saw getting the booed. <laughs> <laughs> I've never gotten booed before. I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. Do you, do uh, yeah. And it was, and it definitely in the back of my head, it was like, okay, we need to expand this. And that was when we really went into other things. And then we were, okay, well, what if music isn't popular? We'll do art and we'll do, and at that point I had a, uh, my daughter was six. So I was like, okay, other children's programs, dance, things like that. So we diversified and, uh, you know, guitar isn't as popular as it was. Guitar is, you know, it was 100% of our business. Now it's maybe 20%. So mm. if I had just stayed at guitar school, I would not be very happy right now. You know, yeah, the, the business would be like five times smaller. Yeah, much smaller, yes. Yeah. You know, and I'd still be doing all the work. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would be a bummer. Uh, and interesting here, uh, so basically the, the idea of transitioning from a teacher just to like playing in bands, having fun with your skill, uh, yeah. Did you make money from bands, by the way? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. so it was also a resource of income in terms yeah, of yeah. you didn't quit. So teaching wasn't the only way where you were able to play a guitar and enjoy yeah. it. So yeah. uh, basically transitioning was, wasn't painful because you had an alternative way of actually enjoying it. So yeah, and teaching guess, yeah. wasn't like the main core thing. It was just a thing. Yeah, it was a thing. Yeah, teaching was how I, I, made lo- I really enjoyed doing it. It, it paid, that was very steady money. So, I mean, it, you know, the guitar school was open 50 weeks of the year with performances, you know, you'd have a busy summer schedule. You might have some winter shows. So it was sort of all over the place. You might have a steady Saturday night thing, uh, but you never know. You might work at a club and have this great gig and then something happens. You don't know what happens, but the club is gone, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for what maybe their lease is up or whatever, or the police shut them down. Who knows? But, you know, or they want a new band, but now it's like, okay, you have now two months where you have to find a new job. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So it's one, like, I knew that it wasn't necessarily something uh, that would be uh, a steady income, but it would be, you know, reliable income, but it was a re- nice living when you did it. You know? Got you. So, so and, having both was really good. Mm-hmm. So transitioning into a business owner, uh, as you said, you didn't like the operational activities. You understood that yeah. y- y- it's not your thing. How did you yeah. manage that? So what was your uh, tactical decisions into uh, balancing everything out, all the all the needed tasks, and what did you focus on yourself? Uh, I think for me, there, there are a couple things. Um, I knew that I didn't like answering phones, scheduling appointments. I like talking to people, but like giving information, keeping track of stuff, it's, it's just not really, I'm not particularly good at it. Uh, handling customer service things, let's say, so, you know, if, you know, 99% of your customers are happy and 1% aren't, you know, you have that one customer, 
And if I deal with it, cause it's my company, I'm thinking about it for a month. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe this person was like upset. You know, the office manager just says, you know, takes care of it, solves the situation and moves on, you know, and she doesn't even tell me about it. You know, <laughs> she's just handled, you know, at the end of the week, she'll go, Oh, you know, one of these customers was upset and about this, then it's handled. They're fine. And they're good. Uh, so it, you know, it's not, it's not a personal thing for them. Uh, but uh, that really helped me transition was uh, there's a book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Mm. If you're an entrepreneur, I think that's a book everybody should read. And it's written from the perspective of the technician. Uh, the, the backstory of the book is it's a lady who makes pies and how she transitions from someone who's a baker working 90 hours a week to someone who owns a business and has people working for them and has more time and more personal freedom. Uh, right. And that was so that book really helped because one of the things they talk about is having systems and writing an operations manual. And so I was going to seminars because uh, there's a lot of business seminars and I already understood marketing. I had read a lot of marketing books. I'm always learning new stuff, but I felt like when I went to marketing conferences, it wasn't necessarily anything new because I was already involved with the latest internet marketers and things like that. But from an operational standpoint, having never had a job, stuff like that. I really didn't know how a lot of that worked. So uh, writing an operations manual, writing out tasks, and a lot of the operations manuals I found were really complex and it was like too many steps. So I broke everything down into five steps, you know, like how to answer the phone, you know, how to turn off the voicemail. When you go in, you have to remember to turn off, you know, check the phone messages. So I have all these little one page, like five, like step one, step two, step three, step four, step five that you open up that, you know, this is your routine. The first thing you do is you do this. The second thing you do is just, and just follow the routine, build the habit. And if you don't follow the routine, then you're going to miss something or the order is, you know, you're taking it out of order or you're missing something. So I was really working with the desk staff all the time of saying, you know, because uh, there were silly things like people would come in and they'd forget to unlock the door and I'd show up at the office and the front door would be locked and I'd be, I'd go in and I'd be, you know, employee, what, what are you doing? How's everything going today? Oh, it's been really quiet. It's like, well, that's because you locked the front, you know, you know, you forgot to unlock the front door. So then it became like operations manual. Step one, unlock front door. <laughs> you know, mm. Step two, check. So that because like, oh, you didn't tell me I needed to unlock it. It's like, okay, my fault. You know, it's like, no wonder why we're, you know, it's like, you think some stuff is common sense. Yeah. Turn on the light. It's like, you remember it. So it's like, why well, didn't need to turn on the light so that when people walk by, they think the business is open. You know, if you see the door closed and the lights are off, it's like, oh, they're not open yet. So you really have to like leave no stone unturned, write the operations manual. Uh, and Emith has a formula. Uh, it's Michael Gerber's book. It's a great book that I just followed that. And it was really good. It was very effective. So that really helped. And then training people, sitting down, uh, you, you know, when you delegate, you don't abandon people. So it's not like, Hey, do this, see you later. Goodbye. We're never going to talk about this again. Delegation is like, okay, here's the operations manual. I'm going to start up when you open, I need you to do these things. When you close up at the end of the day, I need you to lock the front door, for example, right? <laughs> do these things. Here's how you check voicemails. When you answer the phone, here's how you answer the phone and sit with them and say, okay, I'm going to answer the phone. I'm going to call you on the phone and we're going to, you're going to interview mm -hmm. me. Uh, as if I'm a potential client. How do you get the information? So having everything mapped out. So whether you're, say, a 16 or 17-year-old high school student working part-time evenings, you know, like sometimes we have younger former students or for students working the desk, answering phones, with doing reception work. Later at night, 9 o'clock, 8, 8, 9, 10 o'clock, that last shift, uh, they'll come in and work the office. But, you know, it's like no heavy lifting. You answer the phone. Uh, answer any questions, greet people when they come in. If anyone calls, here's the information. 
And then the manager will take care of it tomorrow morning. So just mm -hmm. training them and walking them through everything and sitting with them. And so I think that training is really important and then revisiting it, you know, and at first there, you know, people be like, oh, you know, don't you trust me? It's like, no, I'm checking in with you. You know, I'm going to make sure that you're doing this. And I actually got this idea from a book called the one minute manager meets yeah. the entrepreneur. Yeah. Meets the entrepreneur. Book. Yeah, there's there's many of them, but the one one minute manager meets the entrepreneur. It's got the dark blue cover. Talks Ooh. about how you're you're walking people through everything and you're monitoring them, and then you're gradually handing things over everything over. And step four is you're checking in with them. You know, so hey, I wanted to ask you about this. I wanted to ask you about that. And sometimes you're checking in. You know, you're just making sure they're doing their job. Is everything going okay? Uh, in, in for me, check in with my manager who's very competent. Might be, hey, so how how did everything go? To do? Hey, I ran a new ad. How many phone calls did we get? And she'll go, oh, you know, what? let me look through. Oh, we got five phone calls. Three were from that. Three mentioned the ad. Uh, one person asked about the summer camps. Another person asked about this. You know, uh, so stuff. You know, where you know that they're competent running it, mm -hmm. and so they're just giving you then information. Like whatever information you need, you can call your office manager or if you're at the site, do it. But that idea of like, you know, really actively co-working with them and then coaching them and then, uh, you know, kind of just monitoring them. And then you're really just, you've delegated it and you're just sort of checking in. So that four-step process. And that's a great book. Let's jump back a little bit into the time where you just started hiring those people, like starting hiring your office manager. Uh, how did you know that that was the specific person that you needed to hire? Like in terms of like you understood that that is an office manager position that I need. And how sure. did you approach it? Uh, you know, I started out with just hiring a like a receptionist. So I didn't okay. start out necessarily, but it was like receptionist. In my, I got very lucky on my first hire. Uh, the woman was, she had a master's degree and she was on the wait list to become an FBI agent. So she's being background checked and it takes like a year and a half. So she needed a job. She couldn't screw it up because the FBI was going to come interview me and see how she did. So I had right out of the gate, I had this person who was, took the job really seriously. I knew they weren't going to be here very long time. But they also knew that like their future, I was going to be interviewed based on their future. So they wanted to not screw mm -hmm. up. And they had a lot of real personal discipline, things like that. So it was just starting out going, okay, here's how uh, we answer the phone. And so we went through and she was a great receptionist. And I was like, okay, hey, you know what? I need some help. Uh, go through the schedule and make sure everyone was billed the proper amount. So she would find the mistakes. Okay, now uh, can you actually run these credit cards? This, you know, can you actually? And so I knew she couldn't commit fraud because she was going to be an yes. FBI agent. So there was an element of trust there that I knew she was going to, you know, try not to screw up. Uh, and so she was my full-time receptionist for a long time and sort of became the office manager. When she moved on, I started having... Uh, sort of this transitional phase where I had different part-time people and that I found to be less effective. And so then as I discovered, okay, I really need a manager, not necessarily full-time, but here every day, I brought in a manager, you know, and I said, Hey, you're going to come in. I hired them. How did the you assistant. find them? How, like, uh, uh, how, how did you approach the position? Like, okay, you need a manager. How did you look into that thing? Sure. Uh, I won, I went through a recruiting company. There's companies that find people and I, and I'll tell them what I need people who've worked in the service industry. Uh, they say people who follow systems. Those are people who worked at McDonald's. People who worked at Starbucks are great people because they've followed systems before. You know, mm -hmm. if you go in and work at Starbucks, 
there's a way they do things. You don't just go in there and just kind of do your own thing. There's a system you follow. And so if you've gone through that type of training, yeah. So if you've gone through that type of training, you're not winging it. Everything is done very systematically and very, in a very organized fashion versus someone who doesn't have that background might come in and wing it. They might resist the systems. They might want to put their own personal stamp on things. uh, And that's less good. People who work as bank tellers are great. Um, you know, I've, I've, I found one really good hire at the grocery store. Uh, and how I, I found, how I found them was really interesting. This was years ago. You go to the grocery store and there's all these lines and it's packed and there's the one line that's moving and the, and the, the cashier's just cranking people out and everything. And she's doing a great job. And it's like, ah, this is the most competent person here. Like everyone else has these really long lines and this person's just burning people through the lines and they're really efficient. And I remember going, wow, you know, you're really like way more efficient. She's like, yeah, I love to work, blah, 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 blah. And so you'd see them all the time at the grocery store. Hey, you know, I own a music school and we're hiring actually. You might be a good fit. Why don't you interview? Come by, give me a, if you're looking to do something different or if you're looking for another job, you know, getting off the cash register. Mm -hmm. And and this was, you know, 18 years ago. I don't remember what their name was, but they were great. And they were with us about six months before they went off to college, but they were like Mm -hmm. a high school student who was just, you know, super efficient and got everything done and and they were great. And so, um, so self-recruiting, go out finding people who are good, uh, using a recruiting service. Uh, we use we used to use Craigslist. We don't use that anymore. It's not really used for that. But that was a big place for finding people. Uh, Indeed, any of the job recruiting sites are really good. You can put resumes on Indeed and always get responses. With Indeed, you get a lot of responses. You're really going through a lot of stuff and a lot of resumes, and it's a lot of work. Uh, but anything like that, Indeed is nice because it's free. Uh, if you do the free version of it, the recruiting you know, recruiting service is probably going to charge you something. Uh, but yeah, hiring, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing, understanding what you need. And sometimes like my current manager, she came in out of a retail and she was hired to work just one or two days a week to fill in the schedule. And after a month, I was like, oh, I found my next manager. It's going to be awesome. And so it was difficult because she went from working two days a week to the full-time manager. So like she passed over a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So uh, so can you recommend any additional, like maybe books or resources for people to study to get more understanding on hiring? Uh, on hiring, um, you know, the again, the Emeth has a whole thing in there about hiring people, mm-hmm. and he has a book called Emeth Mastery, where he talks about the hiring process, the interview process, like like, and it goes from because there's a, a few different Emeth books. So I think Emeth Mastery is the hardcover version, and that's a great book where he talks about you know, from how you run your ad, from how you do your interview, do you interview in a group, then do you interview people privately? Because uh, the idea of group interviews, you know, have 10 people show up, you do, you talk to the whole group, and then you spend 10 minutes with each person. And then mm-hmm. out of that, you can weed people out. Uh, but that book really influenced me a lot as far as the interview process and finding people that are passionate about it. Uh, I think more than anything, that was the one that really sort of defined the interview process. Uh, mm. Steve Chandler has some books too. Uh, he's a the kind of these motivational self-help speakers. Uh, Steve has some great books too. Got you. Um, have you ever experienced using outsourcing, like finding people to like freelancers or something for, for your business? Yeah, so I outsource all my payroll stuff, taxes, all financial things are all outsourced to other companies. Uh, the 
first thing I did when I incorporated back in 1996 or 1997 was outsource the payroll. Cause when I looked at like, Oh, you have to do payroll taxes and follow all these forms. I was like, I don't know how to do this. So I hired it. Like a, I immediately went to an employee leasing company uh, that handled all that for me. And I still use them to this day. Uh, I also uh, outsourced like my graphic design and things like that. I have a graphic designer uh, and you know, I have someone I use. Uh, we find stuff on like Upwork has become, I think the one that everyone uses stuff. Mm -hmm. We need web design, uh, really almost anything that's not our core business, we outsource everything. Mm. So graphic design, website building, uh, payroll, taxes, financials, all this. So anything that's not the core business of teaching classes or managing the day-to-day -day operation, uh, it's a pretty much 100% outsourced. Got you. How did you get into business coaching? That's that's the thing uh, that we did. That's the thing that we didn't touch in the beginning. Like for sure. everyone, Chris is also a business coach. Tell us yeah, a little bit about that. A startup coach. Well, you know, it yeah. start a couple way. You know, the the main way it started is as a business group. People kept going. How did you do this? Like people would come see. You know, they knew me as a, a, a guitar teacher teaching out of my apartment. And all of a sudden, it's like they haven't seen me in 10 years. And all of a sudden, there's this business and there's this enterprise. And like, how'd you do this? Can you show me how to do this? Mm. And then that was, and it just became, you know, more and more people going, well, how'd you do this? How'd you do this? Uh, I want to open this. How, how did, can you, uh, I saw your marketing. Uh, people didn't know how the internet worked and they didn't know how website design worked or they didn't know how Google AdWords worked. And so people started hiring me for things. And at some point I started a coaching business just to coach people. Cause it almost needed to be, cause it initially it was just another branch of the Academy of Music and Art. And it was like, really, it needs to be a separate company. And uh, so it became just coaching people who wanted to start businesses or specific things they needed help with in their business. Uh, mm -hmm. And at some point with my music school people, I actually wrote it all down in a book and I called it music school transformation. And it was like the idea of like transforming yourself from being a teacher to a owning a school after COVID hit, I, I rewrote the book as music school reinvention. So, cause we have to rethink our model now cause everything's online now. Oh, where can people uh, so find that book? So that book, a musical reinvention is not out yet. Uh, the book I do have out with the, and I've got here is marketing during tough times was the most recent book I wrote. And that came because when COVID hit, uh, we're like, okay, well we have to rethink our business and we have to really market. And so I went back and thought about everything I did from the day I opened the business till now. And so I started writing everything down. I was like, okay, we don't, we're back to, we don't have any money. We have money, but we don't have superfluous money. So it's like, okay, what's everything we ever did that cost no money that was low cost. And so I went through and listed everything and I said, okay, here's everything I can do. And so then it was written down. So I put it on a, you know, on a micro, on a Google doc. And then I was like, okay, I need to organize this better. So I said, okay, well, what's print advertising, all the different stuff, joint ventures. And my graphic designer friend saw it and said, wow, you know, this is actually like an ebook. You should really publish this. So she wrote the, made, designed the cover for me and it became marketing during tough times, became available. Uh, and people can find that on my website, Chris Wilson Coaching. Uh, soon thereafter, I uh, got to know this Tony Robbins organization, mastermind.com. And that led to people talking about video courses. And I kept talking about this concept of reinventing your business and reinventing yourself. And uh, in talking to groups, it became the idea. I was like, oh, you know, I should put this down. This is the reinvention formula of just re spontaneously reinventing how you think about yourself. Because I've gone through a per a several personal reinventions where in a moment I said, I'm going to open up a music school, right? I had a guitar school. I really woke up one day and said, okay, I'm going to 
expand this. I'm going to make it into a music school. And it was a spontaneous reinvention based on 12 years. There's the 12 mm -hmm. years leading up to it, but there was the 12 years leading up to it. Even becoming a musician in 1985, I went to business school. First day, haven't started school yet. I'm at university. I'm at the orientation. I'm meeting everybody. And everyone's going around the room, just introduction. This is where our dorms, every person introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you're from, what you're studying and what you're into. And as we went around the room, each person introduced themselves, talked about their major. Yeah, majoring in business. And then they went on about whatever they were passionate about. Everyone was into something. And as I was sitting here, I was going, wow, you know, this is awful. We're like 18 years old and none of us are pursuing what we want to do. And in that moment, I thought, you know what? I'm not doing this. Like, I, I just can't do this. Mm -hmm. So when it came to me, I said, my name is Chris. I'm from Clarendon Hills, Illinois. Uh, I'm not going to be here very long. I'm actually moving to Boston to go to Berkeley College of Music in January. So this is just a transitional phrase. So I look forward to a fun semester, but I'm out of here in January. Now, I had never been to Boston. I had never been to Berkeley College of Music. I hadn't applied. I didn't know what the audition requirements were. I just said, okay, I'll figure it out. So I actually spent the next few months figuring out how to get to Berkeley College of Music. So, so it, was, it, was a, it was a stage, right? You were in business school. Everyone yeah, was talking like had, who the hell they are. And you were like, yeah. I don't want to be them. I don't want to yeah. be like those people. I want to yeah. pursue my dreams, right? I want to pursue my dreams. Yeah. And, and it was interesting because one guy was like, he was like a health fitness guru, like a bodybuilder, like 19 years old, look jacked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But he was like, hey, I'm studying accounting because my parents own restaurants and I'm going to do the books for the accounting. And when he talked about it, it was like, yeah, <sighs> you know, he just like everyone sort of collapsed. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm just not doing this. And so I spent the next two months figuring out, okay, how do I get to Berkeley College of Music? I don't know what, sending in an application. And I had to actually go back to my high school. And the person who told me, don't, don't do this, I said, hey, I need you to send my transcripts. And he's like, oh, Chris, this is a bad idea. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're a high school guidance counselor. It's not like you're Bill Gates. Who are you to give me life <laughs> advice? So I pursued it. And so I got it. I got in my car and drove to Boston. And, you, you know, I had a map and found Berkeley College of Music and parked my car and, you know, he went there sight unseen. He rented, figured it out, rented, lived in a youth hostel, worked in an apartment, you know, found an apartment. So, uh, but it was, so I had done that reinvention before. So this summer when I was talking about reinventing your business, it wasn't a foreign idea. I reinvented myself into a musician. I reinvented myself from a guitar teacher into a business owner. I had gone through that. So it was a natural phase of going, okay, well, we have all these problems with our business. We can't see people face to face. We have to do a reinvention. And so it was it was obvious to me, like how to do it. Uh, and then it was just, you know, writing out the ideas and talking to a camera and recording. Yeah. You know, for for everyone who is listening, for everyone who is listening, I want to tell you that uh, Chris is a great example of a person who um, understanding uh, this core wisdom of uh, everyone who is telling you currently that you can or cannot do something that are telling you that something is a great or a bad idea. Everyone has their own subjective opinion about, right. based on their subjective experience. So yeah. everything that they have and try to share with you in terms of advice is based on what they lived through, or what they've learned and what they've experienced. And if you look at them and you say, okay, you are older than me, or you are, uh, let's say, uh, maybe in a higher position, but are you in a place where you truly want to be? Are yeah. you the person that realize themselves in life and are super happy where they are? If yeah. not, probably I shouldn't listen to you. And that is exactly what Chris just shared. The idea where he listened to his school counselor 
and just said like, okay, who are you to actually advise me on what should I yeah. do or shouldn't do, right? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, you know, and I think too, a lot of the times the people advice, people are, who are advising you, a lot of their advice is coming from their own fear. Like I could never do that. You know, they're thinking to themselves, I could never do that. So if I could never do that, well then my advice is you could never do that. Yeah. You know, uh, opening a business isn't that hard. I mean, it's work, you know, you're going to be working, but if you have a dream for opening a business, I mean, you can, you can do it. You know, you don't need to sit around and plan. It's like, can you go out? Do you have a way to get clients? Do you have a way to service people? You know, it's, it's, it's not rocket science. Starting a small business is, is something you should do. And yeah, people are always trying to talk you out of it. Uh, it's just one of those things. So, you know, let's, I, let's look into opening a business from as sure. we, we, we begin, we began with the idea from going from the idea to a business, let's dive deeper and maybe a little bit uncover what you're currently preparing. You said that you have a, another course uh, coming up of uh, the startup formula of how to build a business and how to open up, how to build that sustainable foundation, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, let's break it down for people who are thinking currently of a pivot, of a transition into maybe a private practice, maybe into a small business. Uh, let's go through important steps that they need to know about or look at uh, to actually get going, get started, and and have the highest chance of succeeding at that venture. Sure. Well, you know, uh, and I'll tell you, I, th I do think 2021 is the year of opportunity. I was out uh, Christmas shopping, New Year, uh, Christmas Eve, last minute holiday shopping, and I went to my local mall, and it was one of these sort of luxury malls with all these high-end stores in it, and I had not been there in a long time, so I, I pull and I park my car. The mall, It's, you know, Christmas Eve, so it's in the afternoon. It should be crowded. It's empty, and as I'm driving around the mall, there's one store left open, I, you know, uh, and all the spaces are vacant. So they're, they're, the stores aren't closed because it's Christmas Eve. The spaces are vacant. There's no store. So the Gap is gone. Banana Republic is gone. Yankee Candle Company is gone. All the small businesses, they're all gone. There's one shop left. And the person I was with goes, wow, this is like really depressing. This is like really sad. This was once a thriving mall. And I said, yeah, but think of the opportunities people are going to have because these franchises are gone. Like, I don't know if the Gap still exists. I think it still exists as a company. But if you're the landlord, you need to rent these spaces. Mm -hmm. People still want to shop. I still need to shop. I still need stores to go to. You know, I still need to buy pants and I want to try them on before I buy them. So there's all these opportunities. Like there's, you know, that empty restaurant there, you know, there, oh, remember the, you know, whatever the steakhouse used to be there. It's like, yeah, but six months from now, people are going to want to go back out and eat steak, right? Or even if it's a year from now. So all this empty real estate is dropping, I think it's going to drop the price because these spaces have to be filled and people are going to want to go back out. So there's opportunities galore. Let's talk about this uh, quickly about the opportunity thing. Uh, there are two things that I want others to also hear that, uh, as, as you mentioned, Chris, right? People uh, and businesses are going out of business. What yeah. does that create? Not only room where you have that office space or store space or whatnot, you actually have those businesses go bankrupt. And when yeah. they go bankrupt, all their resources, all their inventory, everything that they own, they need to sell out to close yeah. their debts and yeah. uh, maybe recover some money because they're sure. closing. Where those things go, they go to an auction. 
So yeah. if you're starting out currently, you have a window of opportunity where those businesses are going bankrupt and they need money. So they yeah. are selling their equipment on a penny on a dollar just to recover the money that was invested into the business. Oh, you yeah. can buy that equipment. Yes, it's secondhand, but for many industries, for many agendas, you can take the secondhand equipment and it will be as good as buying a new one. And you oh, yeah. will be all set up to build a new business, but using secondhand equipment, you will save potentially thousands, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars just on participating on those bankruptcy auctions. Yeah, getting what you need to get started. So that is one window of opportunity that is also opening up, not just space. And as you mentioned, right, also the opportunity is there that the businesses are going down, they're closing. But I want to talk with you a little bit on the topic of why. I believe the why is that their business model that they've built up wasn't sustainable. Let's talk about sustainable business models. What is a business model and why and maybe how to make it a sustainable one? Sure. Well, and I think in this mall, uh, they, you know, you had stores like Gap, which, you know, they just said, hey, look, we don't need all these outlets. So we're closing them because, you know, we have some, we're going to keep some stores in malls. Uh, but we're going to do business online. Some some places, I think Pier 1 Imports closed and they're going to just be an online business. And so they're going to have the, once COVID's over, auction off all their stuff. Uh, so I think a lot of that is just downsizing. A lot of the small businesses just didn't survive, who didn't ha- who weren't publicly traded, who didn't have access to capital, mm-hmm. uh, couldn't make their rent payments. Uh, so the sustainable business model, uh, I mean, there's a couple different ways you can go. Uh, a lot of people sell information and courses in the digital marketplace is really popular right now. So the digital service business, whether you're, uh, you know, doing managed IT. I know someone who started managing IT because since everything, we're more internet-based now, companies are just like we're outsourcing our payable, we're outsourcing our IT, right? And so she has, her employees are overseas. She has some office space here. Uh, a lot of it she runs from her house, but you know, so she started a digital business. Some people are reselling products. Um, I'm working with a nurse who's starting a business selling nursing uniforms, fashionable things. So her con- it's an interesting concept where there's no store involved. It's more catalog, it's bringing it to you, it's on-site sales, uh, things like that. So I think you look at whatever you wanna do and then take it from a different perspective. Uh, in the restaurant industry, the one, thing that has seemed to survive hasn't really been damaged by our food trucks, right? Because in Chicago, you can't eat inside. Well, mm-hmm. food trucks, you don't eat it inside anyway. You don't have a, you, you have a truck, you don't have a space. So if people want Mexican food and you have a social media following for your food truck, you can go to a place where people work, set up shop and sell your food out of your, right out of your truck, any, you know, anywhere. Right. Yeah. And it might, it could be at universities, anywhere where there's people. So the food truck industry has thrived. They, they have thrived because they have the social media following and they don't have the massive overhead. So the one thing we've learned from a sustainable business model is not having that massive overhead. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky that I went, you know, apartment, rented a room from a business, rented one office, went to two offices, went to four offices, uh, a bigger space now. Uh, but doing something that's sustainable, you know, your business might not grow. You might have a great business idea, but it might not grow as fast as you want. You, you don't want 
this massive overhead to be the thing that takes you down. Like you have a business that, you know, it might take five years to grow. And it's like, well, you know, if your rent is 10,000 a month, you're not going to make it unless you have very deep pockets. Exactly. So I think, yeah. So starting small, sustainable, you know, we call it bootstrapping it. Like, you know, you're not laying out a lot of cash. Uh, that's a definitely step one. Uh, also, I want to mention here the idea that in, in many industries, you can come across an idea that this business isn't uh, profitable, that everyone is working on a minus, everyone is just losing. Uh, and I want to share with you one core idea here is that taking the same example of the restaurant business, there are businesses that are finding it hard to uh, make the ends meet, just hard. And they go around and say, now this business is so hard, I'm in debt, I'm finding it yeah. hard to make the ends meet. And they're providing this idea to everyone that going into a restaurant business is a lost cause. Yet, yet again, there are businesses in the restaurant business that are managing to be profitable and constantly expanding. So it's not about... The specifically that the industry is broken is that the business model that the business is approached with isn't working. So you need to discover what can you actually optimize in the process of your business so that, as you said correctly, Chris, the overhead isn't larger than the money flowing in. And you have to figure out how the money is flowing in first and then based on that, understand what kind of overhead can you afford and what can you actually build on that uh, on on that amount of money that is flowing in to be sustainable, right? Absolutely, yeah. You know, the other thing that the restaurant industry is lacking, in addition to your point, is that, and I was thinking of this is like like in my business, I have a list. Like I have an email list of customers. So right now it's January. You know, there's twenty thousand cases of COVID today. Everyone's afraid. Well, I have an email list. So today I started selling my summer camps. So I'm selling stuff that's going to happen in June. Well, we have the vaccine is out now. By then, everything's going to be okay. So I'm selling my future stuff uh, so that, um, and we do this every year. We, you know, now it's, I think, more important than ever. But to say, okay, these next few months are going to be rough, but we know we're going to have this huge summer and summer's going to be back to normal and they want their kids back in art. I can tell you, you know, I've never been to a restaurant that has asked me for my email address or given me an offer. I have my, my favorite pizza place closed. Uh, and I remember talking, I'd go in and talk to me at this great New York style pizza, which we don't have in Chicago. And I said, Hey, you know, I, I noticed you don't have a website. He's like, Oh, I don't know if I want a website and everything. And it's like, you know, he could have, he could be, he could, he's not in business anymore. He could have had an email list, you know, a website, a loyalty email program, list. right? Yeah. Loyalty program, anything. Cause everyone was going back, but you know, if he was like, cause I like his food. If he, you know, if he sent out an email, you know, every Friday or every Thursday, Hey, pizza of the day, something, you know, cause he had slices, different sizes. Like I drive by there on the way home from work. If he had sent me an email, it would be a reminder. Oh, you know, he's got this pizza. I like, it's just coming out of the oven. I'm going to go in and grab a couple slices, you know, a little appetizer. He never built an email list. He never really tried to build a Facebook following. I think if you are starting a business, build that email list. The list is, it's one of your most valuable, because that is an asset. And, uh, usually, and utilizing social media. You said it perfectly. Yeah. The idea that uh, basically businesses that are run, they are not utilizing the opportunity to connect to their audience in many different ways that is for them most uh, comfortable, right? For some, right. it's email. 
for some maybe having a chatbot where you invite all people to sign up for, for example, yeah. a Facebook Messenger chatbot that sure. uh, every time it's really easy process, you can send daily some messages about the pizza of the day, for example, right? Yeah. Like definitely. give, an ex give uh, people ideas, feed their imagination about what is possible. And one of those days they will say like, oh man, really, I just saw this wonderful advertising, this pizza slice looks so yummy. I know that, for example, there, there'll be like only 10 pizzas today, I want one, right? Creating yeah, that a little totally. bit of FOMO effect where you're fear of missing out, like uh, then taking that slice of pizza that you really like uh, and maybe yeah. providing a small discount in, in a way that get people interested in uh, and motivated to do it right now because it, it's, it's more valuable offer than it usually is right yeah totally you know and and for this the pizza guy i'm thinking about is he was a real character he was one of these guys hey i'm from new york he was hilarious he was like one of the funniest guys he would have been great like doing videos like he could have very easily done like a live he could have he should be doing like a monthly pizza newsletter he could have been doing facebook facebook videos hey showing me the pizza he's making today because everything's handmade hey here so i do stuff you know, your idea of like, hey, I've got my special pizza of the day. I'm only making five. And when they're gone, they're gone, you know, and mm -hmm. then, you you know, because, you know, I have all these other pizzas I have to make. So if you want these slices or, you know, there's, he could have done a ton of stuff just building an audience because the guy was hilarious. I mean, him doing pizza videos would have been funny. And again, YouTube videos are free. Facebook is free. Email is free. I mean, MailChimp, if you have an email service that's free, you're just asking people for their emails. You know, for him, a website is, you know, $19 a month. It doesn't have to you be You can even do it cheaper. Like, there's so yeah. many ways to actually build a website and oh, yeah. sustain it uh, with uh, the la like the cheapest one you can actually do will cost you even somewhere from free, even from yeah. free. Wow, uh, yeah. And minimum, you can even do it with 10 bucks. Like, it's, oh, wow. it, it's, yeah. it really is so yeah. simple in nowadays to oh, yeah. put up a website, like have hosting, put up a yeah. template website. Like uh, you can even do yeah, it on services website. like Wix or Tilda yeah. or GoDaddy, yeah. GoDaddy, like the yeah. Squarespace uh, or a WordPress website that you can host on any on a, any hosting. Just put that website up so that people know that there's an opportunity to know more about you. And yeah. uh, as you said, that's that's a great example also where um, in our days, it's especially powerful where if you are building a small business, it's not only about your business, it's also about you as a founder, the founder who you are your own personal brand, you are yeah. your own story, you are your own reason of why the hell did you open that business in the first place. Sure. And uh, being able to have your own profile and utilizing your personal profile for the means of telling the world, telling your local community at minimum of what the hell you're doing and why you're doing it and why is it important for you, how it's valuable for them. And just sharing your story, sharing your day-to-day your -day things, sharing the experience of running that business will give you so much additional free attention among your, especially local businesses, right? It's oh, yeah. so much valuable attention that you won't be questioning yourself of where, where are the people? Where, where is the communication? Where's the interaction? You're, you will be building a personal brand of building, of being that person who does that business. 
And oh, yeah. if anyone wants something from that business, they know that uh, even though if there's a Frank or a Lucy in town who is also doing that, uh, they will know that you're one of the free people they can turn to. And th for many local businesses, there can be a, a, a time where you, but other two competitors don't have time to take the order and you'll be the third right. one and you have time and you have that business. Like you also, yeah. you always have to take into account how many people can other businesses serve and are they serving the demand that is in the market? In many cases, we don't start a business or don't do something with the perception that there are already people doing it. But we don't think about the idea that actually there is so much demand that they are not able to satisfy all the demand that is in the market. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, for sure. I, I think uh, people are selling themselves short as far as uh, marketing their business or how far their reach could be or whatever they could do. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're definitely right. You're right on. Let's look in your process, like uh, in the courses that you've built, uh, do you have like a step-by-step -step structure that you uh, take people through and what are the core idea, core steps maybe that uh, are, sure. are there to build a business? Sure. You know, step one is just deciding what it is you, what it is your, you know, are you going to resell a product? So in the case of the person doing the nursing uniforms, okay, you're going to be, you have to source products. So you're going to try to find the ideal product for a service industry. I'm a service business, so I'm selling a service, and, but it, you know, not much different than say a hair salon. So are you going to be doing the service? When I started the business, it was a guitar school. I was seeing the clients. Uh, you know, are you doing some kind of digital product? Are you doing digital courses or books or something online? So I think finding that, uh, I think it's really important for people to do something that they're passionate and excited to do. Yes. Uh, for a couple reasons. If it takes you five years to really get it going, you know, like you might be turning a profit early on. It might not be a huge profit, but it, the money is not necessarily going to be there in piles right away. So, you know, is it something you're passionate about, is exciting about that you're going to like doing to sustain you through when it's difficult? Because if it's something you really don't care about, and if it's just like dollars and mm -hmm. cents, then it's just like it's dollars and cents. You don't necessarily have that passion, that fire for it. That's a, that's a, that's a big one. Uh, yeah. I agree that where, where you actually have to ask your question, yourself a question, like you're a big example of the, uh, like it takes decades of building a sustainable business. So yeah. are you seeing yourself in five to 10 years doing that day in and day out? Are you willing yeah. and are you wanting and are you passionate about yeah. building that direction of the business? And will you be there in that yeah. time? Yeah, so definitely that's the other thing is having that expertise, you know, so if it's something you're really passionate about, you know, something you're interested in, I'm really into music, you bring that expertise where you have that perspective where you understand the clients, you understand the product versus because you're gonna have to learn all this stuff about business, you're gonna have to learn about marketing, you're gonna have to learn about accounting, you're gonna have to learn about management, you're gonna have to learn what you want to outsource if you pile on top of that, hey, I, I don't know anything about the product, that's a problem because then you, you don't really have the product knowledge. It, uh, you know, you're not a consumer of the product. Uh, so I think, yeah, it's something that you're knowledgeable about, something you have expertise in, and something that you'd like to have expertise in would definitely be, I mean, that's that's step one. Step uh, two, let's also uh, put a point here for everyone who is starting. You don't necessarily have to be the expert. You can be the producer. Yeah. You can be the person who knows that you have passion just for the industry or like yeah. you don't have to be the guitar teacher. You can be sure. yeah. passionate about guitar and you can yeah. find a person who will teach just like you're sure. doing, right? Yep, definitely, yeah. 
Yeah. So something, but that, that passion is, yeah, something you're really interested in. Uh, you know, I have a friend who he has a business, but he's a guitar collector. So he sells highly collectible guitars, mm -hmm. you know, stuff from the fifties that, you know, Eric Clapton would buy and things like that. So, you know, these are guitars that are $30,000. He doesn't really play, but he understands the collecting and what's valuable and what's not, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, definitely something something that's just going to sustain you, that you're interested in, that, you know, you don't want to get up and dread going mm -hmm. there. Like, you know, in, in Michael Gerber's Emoth book, he says, you don't ever want to be in that place where you think, uh, I don't want to go there today, but I have mm -hmm. to go there, meaning your business. Like, you're just burnt. You want to take some time off. Uh, so, yeah, that's step one. That passion is really important. Uh, step two is typically the most difficult step for people to do. And that's the, why should I buy from you step? So if you say, I'm going to sell this product, like in this case, I was talking to the person selling nursing uniforms and she says, well, I'm going to resell other people's products. Those are the resellers. That's cool. Um, you know, why should I buy from you versus anybody else? If I have 10 other choices, can you give me a compelling reason to buy your product or service? Um, so that's typically where people get stuck. Yes. Uh, you know, it's like, well, why, you know, what, you know, and it's because it's not lowest prices, you know, lowest prices is tough to sustain. Mm -hmm. In the case of the person selling the uniforms, it's like, well, if you're competing with these big box retailers, you're not going to get the volume discount that they get. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able, you're not going to be able to get free shipping. If you offer free shipping, you're going to have to cover the shipping. So you, right away out the door, it's like, okay, so you can't compete on price. Uh, so you have to compete on something else. What can you compete on? What can you find? Uh, you know, you might not have the money to stock up inventory. So, you know, taking a different approach. So it's a comp competitive advantage. In, competitive in advantage way, right? is one. Yeah. People talk, yeah. People say unique selling proposition, value proposition, competitive advantage, finding that in your business that would be something different from somebody else. So if I'm a consumer, I have 10 choices, why would I buy from you? Let's look at the idea of actually, uh, this is a, a major thing that may, many people don't realize that a unique selling proposition and actually being competitive is about not necessarily having something unique, but being different. Yeah, something different, yeah. Can, can, let's dive like into this idea of being different. What does it mean to be different? Can you give some examples? Sure. Uh, I'll go back to the pizza guy. So the pizza guy, he's the only in Chicago, we eat this weird thick pizza that no one likes. He was the only New York style pizza. So he was like, you know, like New York style pizza in the suburbs of Chicago. And he was the only one. So that was his thing. If you wanted this hand tossed thin cross New York style pizza, he was the only guy. So his, his sign on the side of the road in front of his restaurant, you know, the only, you know, the only New York style pizza in town. Which, which for one, it was true. He was the only New York, but there, there was really nobody else in the community doing it. So he had something unique. There are other people selling pizza, but this special kind of pizza he had. He had this, you know, and some of the pizzas that they, combinations in New York, they do are different than here. So he had combinations that other pizza restaurants didn't have or didn't think of or would think, oh, I don't think people would like that. He was doing stuff that was like completely not unique in New York or Jersey, but unique for our community. So he found mm -hmm. a niche within that. When I started the guitar school, uh, what I realized is like, and this is 1990, you know, rock music was huge. So Metallica, Van Halen, grunge music, Nirvana and stuff like that was just coming out. There was no one teaching that. All the guitar teachers were like these old fashioned classical guitar teachers and they played acoustic guitar and they played folk guitar. 
you know, and they were older hippie guys and the kids didn't want to play that. They wanted to plug an electric guitar and they wanted to play rock and roll. And so just by the fact that, you know, people, I advertise, you can play the electric guitar. It's like, well, if you want, you know, you can learn guitar anywhere, mm -hmm. but if you want to learn electric guitar, or you want to learn rock music, Chris Wilson's the only guy, you know, he plays in, I was playing an alternative, what they called alternative rock yeah. bands. I was like, oh, I played in alternative rock bands. I know all these guys. And it's like, well, you know, you can take lessons anywhere, but if you want what's happening now, he's the only guy doing it. So that was my marketing side of things. I attempted then at some point to say, well, I do these other things too, but it's like there were, you know, nobody wanted the me too stuff. People wanted the the stuff. They wanted to learn the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You know, it's like, you know, the yeah. me too stuff didn't work. So right away I realized from a marketing standpoint, the me too thing. When we added the dance department, there were a lot of schools doing ballet. So it's like, okay, we can offer ballet, but there's no reason to take, but there was Russian ballet. There was someone who did whatever types of ballet. We didn't have anything unique going on. So my, my daughter at the time said, Dad, why don't you do something like that's music and dance? So we said, oh, okay, because this pop star music and dance thing. So my daughter came up with this pop star concept. We said, okay, you can take dance. We have regular dance classes. You can take tap dance here. You can take that anywhere. But we're the only school that offers music and dance. So if you want to do stuff that's like in music videos, like what Britney Spears does or what High School Musical does where you're singing and dancing, we're the only school that does that. And we have a specialist voice teacher. We have a specialist dance teacher we combine it and people are like oh my gosh this is and that's what launched the program that launched our summer programs uh that launched our dance program so we had something unique versus saying yeah we're gonna offer the same things everyone else offers and our classes are 70 dollars a month and their classes are 68 and they're you know people are making these comparisons so yeah. we tried to offer them something different uh or even our product mix you know you can come here and take music lessons you can take dance. we have a lot of different things going on versus okay we just do one thing and also for, for people who believe that there's nothing unique to what they do, think of uh, of the shop, right? Look at all the shelves. You have generic yeah. products there, but they're sure. all differently packaged. There's nothing different yeah. about the components. It's the same thing, but yeah. it's packaged differently. So sure. that, that's one of the core ideas that it's not, you don't specifically need to be different in terms of the service you're providing, but having that packaging that sets you out of your competitors, like if, if your competitors, like in, let's look at the bottled water, it's yeah. all water, it's nothing different, but sure. some waters are for like, uh, for example, maybe free box and the other ones yeah. cost 50 cents. Why? Yeah. Packaging. That's sure. that's the difference of perception of value. And uh, it's the same water. It has the same properties. It's as clean as it is in 50 cents or free bucks. But the sure. packaging plays the biggest deal. And that's where we have to learn that if we have a generic service, like maybe you a plumbing business or a guitar business or whatnot, understand what can you show to the client as a packaging that they will say, oh, this is much nicer. This is something that I, I love to see. That This is something that is comforting to what I would love to, to like play with. And because everyone has a different personality. So we have to understand there's no one size fits all. You will have your types of clients. The same thing goes like, if we look at uh, the services business, in many cases, the clients that come to specifically to you, they will be like you. So you have to understand who are you? What do you like? And unconsciously, people will be attracted to people who are alike. Same thing with businesses. They 
People are attracted to businesses that share their values, share their interests, share who they are as a, as a being. And they will be looking out for businesses like that. So in every single niche, in every single industry, you need different kind of service providers that do the same thing, but they should be themselves different from each other. Their characters, their 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 way of being, their way of life. It's it's like a difference where you you would have someone who plays guitar and as as a, for example they they can play they both play guitar, but one would be a a rock band star and will wear biker clothes and, uh, yeah. and be 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 in that alternative style. And there will be another classical Latino guitar player who will dress like a Latino, who will be yeah. expressing themselves in, in that cultural perspective. And there'll be two different people, but they do the same thing. And, and that packaging is everything. And uh, you, we have to understand that the differentiation is not only a different product or something unique about the product, but just the branding and the packaging also plays a big role. Cool. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, when you mentioned water, you hit the nail on the head because think about like water's water. Well, we have Evian spring water, and that's from the mountains of France, from the Alps. And there's a story behind it. And when you look at the package, you can see on the, it says Evian, but there's also pictures of the, of the Alps on there. And, it's, oh, and then you have Fiji water. That has that little, I don't know if you have Fiji water, but it's in these little bottles, and it's from Fiji. And it's the purest water on earth because whatever, they have a story behind it. Uh, there's a water company that well they get their water from Wisconsin. You know it's USA water. I don't know if that makes a difference because <laughs> it's water, water. But it's like you know, uh, and they say well it's from our ponds that were carved by the glacier. You know, three thousand years ago or whatever it was, a million years ago, glaciers came in and carved up all these lakes, and so this was the purest spring water from your local water place. Another place might say well this is actually really just tap water that's been filtered three times and it's only fifty cents. You know you're not paying you know Evian spring water is three dollars. This is 50 cents, but this is like your local tap water or wherever it's from. And it's just been filtered multiple times. So it's pure. Another one sells water. I sell this at Whole Foods. It's in a carton. And they're like, it doesn't say the story is like you're saving the environment. So this is a biodegradable. When you're done with this bottle, uh, this carton, you can throw it away and know that it's got to be recycled. So there's no plastic. This isn't going to pollute the ocean. It's all water. It's how you're presenting it to the people. And some people, mm -hmm. oh, I want this purest water on earth. That's the Fiji water. And I, and I like the bottle and the packaging. Or, you know, I'll, the filtered water is fine with me. Beer, same thing with beer, does the same thing, right? They have the artesian wells, or it's from this, or it's microbrewery. So the, you're right, the packaging and how you present it to the customer and differentiating yourself somehow, a story behind your business, a yeah, story it, behind your product. Yeah. And, and you being you, right? It's yeah. actually finding who you are as a person. What are your interests? What are your talents? What, how you express yourself? And that will be attracting people who want you. Like yeah. there, there can be hundreds or, or dozens of English cheers, teachers, yeah. but you will have that accent that people love and they sure. will choose you because they want the accent, not the just an English teacher. Right. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and having that sort of proprietary, some things, times it can be a proprietary method or system. Uh, on our music school website, we talk about learn to play guitar in 15 minutes a day. I developed a way of, you know, because people are like, oh, it's years of practice. It mm -hmm. is years of practice. But if you do these things 15 minutes a day, you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just that. So it's not if you want to be Jimi Hendrix. Yes. Hours of practice, lifetime of practice, plus talent. 
But if you want to just be able to play, there, here's a 15-minute routine, and you just do this every day. You do this for 15 minutes. If you have more time, great. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, and and that's a, that's, I've been using that for about three years. That's been my unique selling proposition, my value proposition. Learn to play an instrument in 15 minutes mm -hmm. a day. Uh, within our dance department, uh, we talk about the, we're the only school where you can do music and dance. You can do your other dance, but music and dance is what we have are unique. So we, we have within our school, if our unique thing about our school is all these different programs for all the different ages, within each department, there's a sub-value proposition for each one. Uh, so cool. what, whether it's water or service, uh, it's having that, having that, you know, having something unique about your business. And that's typically the most difficult thing to find. Yeah. Uh, and, and just like really for, for people like, don't think that unique has to be truly something out of this world. Unique yeah. is a small twist. Unique yeah. is a different color. Unique is a different shape. Unique is a different material. That's already yeah. enough. You have. Yeah. We have to actually. I, I believe that there's a big uh, mystery around this concept. Like it's super hard. But really, differentiating it can be as small as changing color. It can it be can. As, so, as small as dressing differently. Right. Yeah. You know, I wear these shirts by Robert Graham, and his unique thing is like he's got these cool collars here, and then when you roll up the sleeves, he's got these. Cool That's it. Otherwise, they're you know, it's a nice dress shirt. It's well made, but his unique thing is he's got these weird patterns and designs. Nice shirt, by the way. More, thank you. Yeah, Robert Graham. But his, that's his unique thing. It's like it's a little more flashy. Uh, and it's a, you know, versus like an Armani or a Hugo Boss that's more formal. Mm -hmm. This is a little more, it's a little flashier. So it's, cool. it's kind of cool, but you, but you could still wear it to work. So you know, the so first step was like, fashion, what you do. Second step, finding uh, why should people buy from you, the unique right, right. selling proposition, the differentiator. What's the next step? So your next step in, in launching it is, is you need to start to figure out your financial model. Mm. So you understand I'm going to sell this product. You understand why they're going to buy it. So then it's like figuring out, is it financially feasible? So, and this is where you do the math. So you say, okay, if I'm giving a guitar lesson, how much do they cost an hour? If I'm hiring people, how much uh, do I have to pay them? Uh, after that, what's left over, is that enough to sustain all my expenses, my marketing, and then pay me? Uh, for the person selling uh, clothing and uniforms, you know, you're going to access, uh, you're going to find your reselling products. So, okay, what's my cost on the product? What's my markup? Is this an actual viable business? So the financial side of things is definitely building out the idea of, uh, you know, is it financially viable? Uh, and you're and you may be guessing at this point. Well, I think it's I think my costs are this. I think my costs are that. There's going to be other costs that come up, but just understanding is there you know is there money to be made in this business? Mm -hmm. So that that's step three. Uh, oh, by, by the way, uh, let's, let's give also some advice to people about how they can uh, understand models better. Uh, in uh, On the web, there are many, many, many free resources where you can find business plans for uh, any industry. So that could be a go-to place at first just to see what other businesses as a template are planning. What, what are the costs? What are the, what are the things that you have to take into account when you're starting that kind of business. 
Another one would be looking at your competitors. And uh, for example, I, I, I don't know how to say it in the US, like in Estonia, we are able to go to the company register and buy annual reports of, uh, of companies and see uh, their general financial information in terms of the costs sure. and, and other things. What is like in the US? Yeah, so we have something called your Dun and Brad Dun and Bradstreet, and that's it's almost like a credit agency where people publish their. You can access people's financials and see what they're doing. So if step three is money, step four is is there a market? Is this a viable mm. business idea? So and that's you you hit on the next step, and so that is um, you're not publicly you're not looking at publicly traded companies, but is your is there companies doing this of a size that is a sustainable business? So uh, I think in the U.S., the company's done in Bradstreet, where they provide financial information about companies and specific industries, and you can see, hey, what are people doing? You know, what are companies doing as far as this? You know, sometimes they reveal the specific company. Uh, sometimes it's just general industry information that's very accurate. So they they'll tell you this is the accurate information. We're not telling who's this information is, mm -hmm. but it's the company is this size, and you can sort of look and say, okay, you know, is somebody doing this numbers? Uh, I'm working with a client right now and he's in green energy and he's on step, uh, you know, this step right now where it's like, okay, step four, is there an actual market? So we're, he's doing green energy and that's like, say, solar power, for example, wind power. We're in the Midwest, you know, uh, it, it, the sun rises at four o'clock, the sun sets at 4.30 in the afternoon. It's cloudy, it's dark, you know, is it, so there's no one thinking solar power right now. Mm -hmm. So is it, you know, is this model sustainable? Do people sustain this model? Uh, so you can have a great business idea. You can have a great unique selling proposition. You can work on all the financials only to find out that people either don't want your business or it's not viable in this area. Mm -hmm. Or people, you know, the, the, there's so little market awareness and as a small business, you don't have the marketing muscle to do it. Uh, a personal example, when uh, my one of my brothers and my dad own a company that does uh, outsourcing, employee leasing, payroll, and they saw this idea. My dad saw the idea of a company doing it in Florida, and it's very employee leasing and outsourcing is very popular in Florida. They started doing it in Illinois, and people were like, had no idea what it was. They had this great product, and like when you tried to tell people what it was, they call it a PEO, a professional employment organization. You said PEO, people thought it was related to like your health insurance. It's just like, what is this? It's like, no, you're actually outsourcing. And you know, so however great their product was, people didn't know what it was or didn't want it. Now they actually found a niche that wanted it. And it's a very successful mm -hmm. company, very, very successful company, but it's like the market wasn't aware of it. So the payroll company had to figure out a way to present it. So people don't know what a PEO is. They don't know what a professional employment is. They understand what HR is. They understand what human resources mm -hmm. do. It's the biggest pain in the neck in your business. It's the one thing everybody wants to outsource. So if you say, do you want a PEO? Do you want to do this? Or, I don't know what that is. You say, hey, how would you like me to remove all your HR headaches? Mm -hmm. You'd be like, oh, yeah. You know, I, you know <laughs> I could, I've got a giant bottle of Advil. I'm taking the deal with the headaches every day. If you're going to take all that, how, how do I do it? And how much do I pay you? When can I sign up? So understanding that, you know, is there market size in your area? And that could be done in Bradstreet. There's some other guerrilla marketing tactics you can do as well to find out market size. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I recommend, uh, in this case, I'll use uh, what, whether you're the person doing uniforms or green energy, whatever it is, uh, there's some stuff you can do. Uh, one is go on Facebook and start a Facebook group. 
and say, okay, do I have, and you're just, it's a group of people who are interested in green energy. It's a group of people who are in, who are for nurses who need uniforms. Are there other people who want to join their group? Are there people who want to talk about this? Are people talking about this? Uh, can you provide information? Like maybe for the nurse, it would be, uh, you know, fashion sense. Here's my new fashionable shirt. That's really cool. What do you think? And posting it to your nursing groups. Are people talking about it? Are people interested in it? Would you like, do you like this shirt? Would you like to buy this shirt? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for the green energy guy, uh, are you interested in green energy? Would you like some more information about green energy? Hey, here's what I found out. If you're going to do solar panels on your, on the top of your house, on the roof, uh, it can be a great deal, but some people are selling this other thing and it's like really awful. Like it doesn't, it's not going to work in the mm -hmm. Midwest or it's a really bad deal or it's a, you know, and so you're just providing information. So are people interested in this information? Can you, will they give you their email? Can you build a list or people, you know, if you're doing, Facebook that's that's a great thing where people in this question, in terms of actually understanding and talking to the customer, there's this method. I absolutely love it called the ask method. Uh, you yeah. heard about it? No, tell me. Uh, so the ask I'm method. I'm taking it, notes while we're talking. I yeah, to, so it, it's, it's a big, uh, currently it's a big company in, in the US. It's growing super fast. Um, it basically, the guy developed this method called the ask method. And uh, it's a process where before launching a business, before launching a product or a service or whatnot, you do uh, a pre-testing period where you create uh, X amount of resources or informational things, and you reach out to the potential target audience with questions. Basically, you, most things they do is through questionnaires, they okay. reach out to the target audience before launching and through that they do a process where they find out their their wants their needs their fears their frustrations and everything that's got to do that is actually not working for them currently in the direction that you want to start the business in and yeah. after you get that plast of information about what do the clients really need and worry about and get their perspective on things then you have the needed foundation to actually build up a business. So I believe for, for, for your course as well and for everything that you do in your coaching, I believe that will be a big, big thing because I believe that starting from, as you said, communicating with your potential clients is the number one thing before you actually launch a business because uh, in many cases, there's so many stories where, um, especially in the startup world, if you want to see how to, uh, I will say, fuck up, if you want to see how to do it the wrong way, look at the startup industry. Yeah. There are so many tech startups where they started with an idea, they fell in love with the idea, they themselves believe that it will be the best thing on earth. And then when they brought it to the market, no one needed it. And yeah. in many cases, those companies already got funded. They already yeah. got funding they put a lot of their own money they put a lot of resources in they developed for years and when they came to the market they only realized that no one really needs it or it's not practical yeah. or maybe they've been developing for so long that a bigger competitor came in and developed something much more uh, usable and user-friendly so uh, learning from your client audience in the first place what they need what they want and where they come from in this topic will be the most invaluable thing that you can do to start a business in the first place. Like as you gave an example, if you want to launch a local business, so talk to the local clients, potential clients. Right. Do they actually want it? 
is right. this region like if you have a local store or a local restaurant or something local ask people in your local market like launch uh, as an example uh, launch an advertising that uh, talks about the idea of having that service in your local market would people use it do people actually want it and if so what do they what do they want what do they need and what is missing right yeah so that's that's a that's a great model that also take into account the ask method it's called. Definitely. Well, and along those lines, you have some opportunities. Uh, you know, what like I thought we talked about you know, building a list, getting your audience with the nurse selling the fashion. Hey, here's my shirt. If she has a big enough list, do you really like it? I I have twenty for sale. First come, first serve. Will twenty people buy the shirt? I mean, if no one buys it then you know, you know, assuming if you have a thousand people following you, no one buys it versus you sell 20 shirts, you know, you know yeah. that you have something. Or, or um, in the sense where you're just discovering, are, is there a, a way to do business here? You can go into local groups where people of your target audience is and communicate with them on the topic of what are they using currently? What sure. is available? Like become the consumer. Become the person that needs that stuff. Absolutely, Learn yeah. from other people who are also already consuming that type of product or service and communicate with them and find out what is missing or what should they look at or who is in the market and find out who are, through interacting with the local community, understand what is available, what are the tastes, what are, what are the bad things, what is working, what is not working and become the consumer of your product do that research as a consumer, go into those groups and ask questions as you would if you were a consumer and didn't know anything about the market. That can be a really powerful tool also for the beginning of this research. Definitely. You know, another, and you made me think of this, is I had talked about you going to the shopping mall and those all these empty stores. Um, you don't necessarily, when you go in to say, hey, I'm signing a five-year lease and signing my life away, there's pop-up stores. Like we, like in, I don't know if you have these in your country, but here, like we have like a Halloween store. So Halloween, mm -hmm. when the kids dress up in the costume. So the, the, the Halloween store opens up, goes to an empty mall where there's no stores and they rent the space from October 1st through mm. November 2nd, right? And they're just in there. They're in a, they're in a space that's abandoned. It's empty. They rent it out. They sell all their costumes and then boom, they're done. And so they might sign a lease and say, okay, we're going to use from September 15th. We'll set up for 15 days. We're open for the month of October. And then from November 1st to November 15th, we're just selling everything on sale, 90% off, and then get out of the space, hand it back to the landlord. So you could very easily test something with a pop-up store, a pop-up restaurant. You know, if, if there's a restaurant that's near you that's closed, but the place is still equipped. Uh, my pizza guy who closed his restaurant, he just left. His The restaurant and everything is still there. Someone else came in and took the space. That's, All right. oh, that's a big so a pop -up pizza one. That's a big one. Actually, using uh, the, like for everyone, yeah, especially like takeaway is a big thing now. It is growing. Yeah. It will be growing forever. It yeah. it won't go away. Takeaway will yeah. be a big thing forever now. Yeah. People are became so lazy and and the careers like uh, became so affordable. What, what you can do is as as you you just said, Chris, right? Uh, restaurants are there. They are. They have the certificates. They have everything. They're professional. All all you gotta do is find the owner and say, "Hey, uh, I I wanna I wanna start a, a business here. Uh, I need the kitchen. 
Will, yeah. will you rent out the kitchen for me for a month? And just yeah. start from there. You don't even need to buy the equipment. You can just use no, the totally there, that restaurant. Yeah, yeah there's yeah, because these typically, you know, a lot of the times it's like when you move out, like the landlord will say, okay, I'm going to let you out of the lease, but I need to keep like all the equipment. So then they're leasing a fully ready to go restaurant. So all the tables, all the chairs, the oven, everything is there. So you're going to come in and, in, you know, so the idea of, or even a pop-up space. Mm -hmm. I know, I know a guy in California who, uh, there's empty shopping malls. They had overbuilt. And so there were empty shopping malls. And uh, his friend was complaining that the parking lots were empty. He's like, no one wants to be in this mall because the parking lots are empty. And he said, well, tell you what, uh, let me use one of these spaces for the summer. I'll have all my summer camps here and uh, we won't modify the space or anything. They just hung up curtains or curtained off the space and you'll have a full parking lot every day for the summer and there'll be people in there. And so he leased them the space for next to nothing. And mm -hmm. that would have been, you know, $35 a square foot. And the mall was packed all summer. And so when people came by the mall or you're a potential client, it's like, oh, look, it's packed. He, he got tenants to come in. It wasn't a, because once you, when you're, a, they call them a dead mall, like it's a mall that's yeah. empty. No one's going into a dead mall, right? Like, I mean, it would have to be rock bottom mm -hmm. prices. You might get a pop-up store. So he was able to bring value to the landlord having the parking lot full people don't know what's going on they just see cars in the parking lot uh and then they he was able to run these summer programs and he did it every year he had a couple different malls he was doing this at and at some point he had enough clients between all three that he was able to rent a commercial space year round but his business started out just doing pop-ups and out of his house and you know bootstrapping it and that's what so. we call an mvp right minimal viable product something yeah. that is functioning that already provides value no yeah. matter how it looks like and just get it out there get testing get communicating and if you're able to yeah. the the most important thing in a business if you can uh, not waste time not waste money, not create the ideal design or whatnot, but provide yeah. core value, yeah. start and get yeah. feedback and understand from based, not what you desire and dream about, but actually yeah. what your clients need. And of course, in, in many cases, clients are in a situation where they don't know what they need, but yeah. At the same time, you can get a lot of valuable insights in terms of what they do need and or want and build around that to implement it into the product that will be a finished product when you develop it further, when you release. Yeah, I would say definitely you want to do like, say, we talked about Apple where it started out, they made a computer in the garage and went to the computer store and sold it. You got to do that. I mean, as quickly as possible, try to sell something, you know? And so if you're building your list and you're selling uniforms or you're, whatever you're doing right away, see if people are willing to pay for it. So whether it's fashion, whether it's music lessons, whatever it is, if it's pizza, sell it right away, you know, see if you can get people to buy it, get that feedback. Uh, you know, a person I know was starting food trucks and she's in the process of, she's like, I don't know if people will like my food because it's interesting. It's like, okay, go to a farmer's market and sell it there you know it's kind of an interesting it's, it's thai food infused with mexican food type of thing mm -hmm. mexican very popular in the u.s it sounded great it's like okay go to a farmer's market and sell it there because you don't need a permit you know so mm -hmm. set up everything sell food does you know are you selling this and people are gonna be like oh my god this is so good i want to do this or is it one of these things where people are like you know it, i don't know it seems a little bad i'm not sure if i want to try it you yeah, know if people, or people will smell it they're like oh my god the fragrance i what yeah. i don't know what that is but it smells good give me i'll take three you know, and so you'll know right away just at a farmer's market, writing a table at a farmer's market is there, does this connect with people? Now it Super. might, the farmer's market might not be your audience, but you could get something. 
Do people go, I love the smell. I love what are the flavors? You know, you'll get some feedback right away if there's an audience for it. And that might, you might have to go to a few different places and try pop-up things uh, just to see. Got you. The, the first step, is there a space? Is there a market? What next? Uh, so you've got the, uh, the initial idea. You've got the do people want it. You've got the money. You've got the, is there a market size? And then that is step five we talked about, start selling. You know, so five is the start selling process. Sell somebody, whether it's information, if you're trying to, uh, you know, are you building your list? Let's say it, it, in the case of the green energy person, okay, so he doesn't have, he can't go out and buy and resell solar panels. So are you building your list? Are people buying your, you know, or if you're the food truck lady, are you, you're going to the market, you're selling your food. If you're a service, do people will take your, will people come to my apartment and take guitar lessons? Uh, if it's a summer camp, we're marketing it now. We, you know, we have our space, but let's say we're selling summer camps now. Are people actually willing to buy it? Let's say I, I could be selling these summer camps and not have the space yet. I could say, oh, our space is coming near you. It's going to be in the community. But, you know, you could make, you know, we have, we're going to be here. And no, right? So I'll know, like our pre-sale is running from January 15th, that's today through January 31st. I'll have a good idea of how people feel right now with COVID uh, as far as like signing their kids up for our future summer program, you know, so we'll know that right away. And so we'll know right away, are people flooding back in ready to go for the summer or is that, are they going to wait and see and we can plan accordingly. So that step five is the crucial and that start to sell because that tells you if you have a viable business, uh, whatever it is, whether it's tacos, pizza, guitar lessons, uh, computers, uh, you know, the thing about the Apple computer, people bought it with Dell computers. He made custom computers, people bought them. So let's look into this kind of thing for a person who doesn't have a marketing or a business background. They, they are starting a business. They have, they like, they've discovered that there is something there. There is an opportunity. Uh, and now they want to start, right? Uh, what is the, let's say, uh, what can be the first action steps? to start building that list, to start reaching out and connecting with those people to make the first sales. Can you, let's sure. dive into that. Yeah, I, well, assuming you have like no money, right? We're talking about no money. We don't want to and spend money. And you don't money. know no one, for example. Yeah, no, yeah. nobody has any money. So I would say things like Facebook and Facebook groups, social media is a great outlet. It's time consuming, but you can start groups. You can join groups and talk about your product and talk about what you're doing and start to build a network and start collecting. If you can get people to go to your website and offer them some kind of information where you're collecting their email addresses. So building the list is key. If it's guitar stuff, if it's fashion, if it's food, whatever it is, you want to find your audience and build your list. And that's, that's the one thing. If you have that list. So let's say as you're putting this together, I, I'm doing summer camps. Maybe not everyone's buying summer camps, but people are interested. And so they're asking for information and I'm sending them my schedules and things like that. I'm building a list so that if I have something I'm going to launch in the future, I can say, oh, look, here's, I have your list. I can email you. Hey, you expressed interest. I can market to these people. Uh, I think that's the single most important thing you can do is like you know, using stuff like Facebook, YouTube is great. Instagram, wherever your audience is. Uh, for me, I find Instagram is a lot better than Facebook, but they add, they share the ad space. So, uh, but for me, uh, for the performing arts school, Instagram is great. So we advertise heavily on Instagram, uh, connecting people with that, asking them to follow us, ask, giving them an offer so that they'll go to our website and give us their email address. 
because uh, that tells you if people are interested in it. Mm-hmm. You can go a step further and start to buy traffic. You could say, well, I'm going to spend some money on Google AdWords. Google AdWords get very expensive very quickly. Uh, you can advertise on Google. You can, on Facebook, you can buy ads on Facebook. You can buy ads on Instagram. But but anything like that, starting joint ventures with other people who you think are complementary businesses mm-hmm. where you want to see uh, can you build a list? Is there enough market there for you? So uh, that's the first thing you can do. And that's not expensive. That's just time and that's hustle. And that's, you know, are you really interested in the product? You know, do you want to sit on a computer and do research about guitar all day? It's like, well, yeah, I actually do. <laughs> I find it really interesting. Or the solar panel, green energy guy, he's very interested in it. So he's like, he's very comfortable talking about it. You know, for me, helping people start small businesses. I can talk about that all day. It's something I'm excited to talk that, that's, about. That's why we have these two two points I want to mention, like taking into account that are you passionate about it? If yes, if this is something that you live, right, and live through, uh, then create content that is valuable to people from a perspective of a consumer. You, you are consuming, so share what you're consuming. Don't You don't have to make something new or extraordinary or unique. Just take what, what you've research yourself today on on that topic of your interest and if you want to build a business around that start sharing what you found out start sharing those nuggets of ideas that you've you've done the research you've put in the hours of reading save those hours to people who can be potential clients so take summarize what you've read today save those three four hours of research and reading for people compress it into five or ten minutes and that's a valuable already. That's a big value where you save people hours of research and reading into a small package of information. So you don't have to be a, a, a big expert or do big things. Even your, like everything that you do on a daily basis around your passion, like the same thing with blogging. People think like, what well, I'm going to blog about? Well, you are interested in something. You're passionate in something. Take what you're researching, take what you're reading and summarize it so people you save people time. And then people start perceiving you as an expert because you've read so many things and you've researched so many things. So you must know your stuff. Yeah. And that's that's already a big value. And that leads up to the second thing, as you mentioned, uh, the thing where we've already done the research of the clients. We've communicated, we've understood that the market is there. So when we consuming and talking with them, we get ideas what they need, what they think about, what they fear, what like when we get to know what what is wrong with what they already are doing or what is missing or what they don't understand, the freebie to build that list, you can take that information that you got from the market, package it up, answer it, find the resource. If you don't know the answers yourself, find the answers, Google, do the research, and then put together an answer. And for people to get that answer, leave an email and you get that answer. So sure. it, it can be a small ebook, it can be a how-to guide, it can be uh, a, a, a list like a checklist or an idea list, an inspiration list, anything of that sort can be valuable to other people who also are interested in that topic. So you don't have to be there, the best of the best or the, the number, I don't know, top 10 people in that industry. Uh, as I, I don't remember who specifically told that. I, I love a TED Talk where the guy breaks down the process of becoming an expert. And he talks about the rule of 10,000 hours 
but he tells that 10,000 10, hours is about mastery. But yeah. if you want to become an expert, you can really learn any skill in 20 hours. You can yeah. learn to do anything in 20 hours. So that, it's a beautiful TED Talk. I recommend to everyone. I'll provide yeah, a link in it. the description yeah. as well. Uh, so uh, in that TED Talk, he says that uh, there's a, besides the 10,000 hour rule, there's a 20 hour rule. You can learn anything, the foundation, like the proper foundation in 20 hours. So uh, like he gave an example on uh, the idea that he learned to play a ukulele uh, in 20 hours. So uh, and and he he like he what he did uh, in that uh, TED talk at the end he said this is my like fifth minute the of the twenty hours of me practicing ukulele and and he said I completed my twenty hours I know how to play it right so wow. that that's that's a, a great example of uh, uh, that this works and uh, what I've wanted to say that uh, the process of getting to the top of the top in the market is, is a long journey. But if you became an expert, if you already put in 20 hours of research, reading, development, skill building, you already have a foundation that the beginners don't. Yeah. And you can definitely. already monetize that foundation. Yeah. You know, and, and you're on to something in music. We talk about this as saying, okay, like if, if the best guitarist in the world is on a, is a, is a hundred and you're just starting and you're a zero, uh, and you have other players who are a 99. Uh, the person at zero is closer than, to the 99 than the person at 99 is to 100. Because it's like the as you get to those top percentages, you might think, oh, you know, getting one when you're at a 99 out of 100, that one percent better might be unreachable. On the other hand, Unreal, you can get yeah. From, yeah, you can't get there. It's like there's this intangible thing. It's like Michael Jordan, right? It doesn't matter how hard you practice. He has that little thing that no one else has in addition to a work ethic. But you could get from zero to 50 fairly quickly. You could be like average, you know, have knowledge very quickly. And then once you're at that level, you can sell that knowledge to other people for sure. Who are at the beginning, right? And and that will be valuable because you've built that expertise and you've like, let's say you universalize that knowledge. You, you've built that yeah. foundation and you continue on to others. As they say, the best way to learn is to teach. So sure. you build that foundation of learning, you teach others and you solidify that knowledge in your brain. Just like Jim Quick always, like, uh, the, you know, Jim Quick, you heard about him? I don't know. I'm not sure. So Jim Quick, uh, he he collaborates a lot with the uh, with uh, Mind Valley as well. So he he's a person who is reckoned to be one of the best experts on the brain on on learning, and uh, he says as uh, he has many different let's say teachings and his programs are fantastic, even the free ones. He says that uh, really also uh, it's proven. Learn by teaching and uh, oh by the way uh another thing in that direction uh, i had a really interesting guest also in the podcast um uh, she said that any passion that she starts anything that she's passionate about first thing she does I, and i didn't expect it what do you think uh, the first thing she does what's that she writes a book oh wow amazing the first thing she does to get into any topic that she's passionate about, she writes a book. Wow. And I believe that's that practice is something not only that you've write a book that you can actually give away for free or monetize. Sure. Yeah. But you but writing a book, 
is a in itself the foundation building the like you build the core understanding of what this field is about so sure. while writing that book you actually do the needed research you find about everything that you need to find about and you have that foundation solidified while you write as well where you simplify things you you, you try to explain it in a in a understandable manner to other people so you you're doing two things at the same time, you're learning and you're trying to teach others through writing a book. So that's that's an interesting perspective as well. Yeah, that is interesting. Wow. <laughs> All right. So oh. that's uh, that's start selling, right? And in start terms, selling. Uh, in terms of starting uh, to sell your advice, yeah, that's what that's where we were in the, in the conversation. Yeah, we were that, start selling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and we were talking about like just package your research do something valuable that uh, your potential clients uh, can learn from or get advice from or use as baselines like to like a checklist and this would be for them already something that they will understand that you know your stuff and they will exactly, be happily yeah. giving you the contact details or signing up to your close group or something to get that because that's valuable yeah, and that's already definitely. a good foundation to build uh, to build that email list or how to build that email list. Exactly. And, and that could be a lead magnet or you could, you know, something, a grabber, or it could be something you're just straight up selling your product uh, for sure. The other thing happens when you start selling is, you know, we always talk about who's your ideal market, who's your target market. And so early in the process, you might say, well, my target market is this, but at that point, you're just making stuff up. You don't know who you're targeting. Mm -hmm. You might think, you know, like you might say, Hey, I've got this product and I'm going to sell it to doctors or I'm going to sell it to plumbers. You actually don't know if they want it. So that's why start selling is really early in the process. It's like, okay, if this works, start selling, do people actually want your product? You know, if you have this great product, maybe you have the wrong audience. So that's, mm -hmm. so you mm -hmm. start testing it right away. So if you try to sell this to some group and they say, oh, you know, or maybe you're even giving it away, you know, the techie doesn't meet my needs. I really don't need this. Here's why. Well, okay, well, who's somebody else would need this? Or maybe they're like, yes, we need this, but we need this, this, and this too. So that's that's a, right out of the way. That's a great thing. And that's exactly what uh, Ask Method helps to do. It looks at specifically, you, you don't even need to have that product. So yeah. uh, you don't actually need to have maybe that physical uh, thing that you want to sell or produce or have that training all figured out. You can yep. do it by going to those people, asking the right questions, and you yep. will get that information. Do they actually need it? Is there yeah. a need in the market without sure. even even uh, putting that product together? So that that's uh, yeah. also a great thing where where you start selling without the product. So that, that's that's also a big skill where you can implement, I believe, into any business where you start selling without even having that product to test, yeah. is there an interest? And yeah. then, because uh, getting that product together can be costly. Like if you have an, an informational product, you can you potentially need designers, like web designers, the packaging, and like so many uh, costs can be involved into getting the product out there that you don't really need to invest in the first place before understanding what what is the client really needing and is there a need in the beginning. So just the idea is enough to start selling uh, and then getting the things together uh, and uh, providing that. To exactly. The 
Well, and even if your product isn't super polished, you could say, hey, so let's say you're, you have a book. You could say, well, this is the early release version. You're getting the, I know someone who's selling a music product and he's like, there's there's a hundred modules and you can get them all. But right now only 20 are done. But, mm-hmm. but oh, you just need these first 20. By the time you're through these first 20, we're adding them all the time. Mm-hmm. And so every couple of months, he's like, okay, the next module's out, the next module's out. Um, and he's releasing them as he goes just because mm-hmm. he's creating it. So he didn't build the whole course. He has the framework for the course. He's telling you what it's going to be, and he's taping it as he goes, or it's an it's a app on your phone, uh, or it's a web-based program. He didn't build the whole program. He just built the first five steps. Do yeah, that's, that's, that's great. also a great time. launch strategy, yeah, where yeah. you don't need the whole product ready. Just have the first part quality, uh, do the first step, get people in and then you will have time because you will a prove the interest and you will have time to create all the other videos as you go with the training. Definitely. Well, and you'll figure out if people want all this stuff, maybe they'll say, Hey, you've got 40 steps to this pro the process, but really everybody really wants step 10. Yeah. And, and, and the very end step 10 has 16 variations on it. So, okay. Hey, you know what? Step 10 is going to be a long step or step 10 becomes your second course. Hey, people yeah. wanted more information. How do we do this? Uh, so that uh, the idea, the, the start selling thing really helps you is, do you have the right target market? You know, so I know who I'm, I think I know who I'm selling to, do they actually really want it? Uh, so understanding, you know, is there a market when it comes? Yes, I'm interested. I'll give you my email address. Great. You like the shirt? Great. Here, it's $38. I'll give you free shipping. Mm-hmm. You can buy it today. You know, it, so that idea of selling right away, it, sell early and often, I think is what mm-hmm. they say, you know, so, <laughs> so you'll, so you'll know right away if something's going to go, uh, you know, and from there, once you're selling, now you're testing, you're refining mm-hmm. things. So if you're selling things online, if you're doing a service, uh, am I serving? No. Do I need to refine this product for my target market? Do mm-hmm. are there more products? Do they only want this one product? Uh, you know, do they only want this shirt? Do they want all sorts of shirt? Do they want pants too? Mm-hmm. Do they want, you know, headgear? Do they want whatever it is? So I think it's then like really then understanding who wants like people who will actually buy it, not my mm-hmm. theoretical market, mm-hmm. but people who want this. Uh, like I found more and more with my coaching business, what people really wanted help with was starting a business. More than anything, they're just like, it wasn't so much people who had existing business who's, who might want to hire a consultant. Hey, can you help me do this? I need an extra set of hands. Can you help me do that? But it was people who really wanted to start their business. That mm-hmm. was the thing that kept coming back. Where it was really obvious it was people who wanted startup help. They wanted, that was a much, uh, there was a much greater need in that area than anything else where people needed startups. Mm-hmm. With existing businesses, they might need help with technology, you know, or they might want technological solutions or something like that. Uh, that was a different market as well, uh, which I, so I found for me, it was the startups. Like people just, when it came to people who really wanted my help, it was the startup people. Mm-hmm. Cool. So. so that's optimizing and find that's, that's the current last step in the, in the process, or you have any so, additional things. So it, w- once you start testing, now, you know, you have this viable business, you have to be, there's the decision tree then, right? So okay. are you an online business? Are you online? Okay. So, you know, am I going to keep this out of my house? Am I renting commercial space from, you know, are you going to be just yourself or your solo entrepreneur? There's a way to go for that, you know, where it's really just you. Oh, that's, a great, are, that's a great way. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, there's the decision of where this goes. Well, how, so how big you want to grow, right? Where right, are, exactly. are you actually wanting to be a solopreneur or like private practitioner of that thing? 
pro yep. just providing that service or do you actually want to build a business and then you are not the pri the practitioner you will be yeah. hiring people to to do that practice and you'll be the business right. owner right right exactly you know and so let's say you're opening a hair salon you might start out with just you cutting hair and doing a great job and training people to make people look good and so then as you hire more people are you going to continue to be mm -hmm. the senior designer who's maybe available or are you going to be the business owner are you eventually going to be the business owner who oversees the business and has managers running it and where you can be, you know, I'm on vacation in France for three months of the year and I'm not at the location, but I'm able to monitor the location via maybe webcams and uh, monitor the financials and transactions and things like that and checking mm -hmm. in with my managers. Uh, and they don't know that or they don't necessarily, they just know I'm out of town or I'm, I'm doing another project or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so that's everything. So you have to sort of make the decision tree as far as that goes. Is it going to be just you, you and other people? Are you removing yourself from the business? So there's those different models from there. And then each one sort of presents, that's where things, you know, if you're going to go, I'm going to rent a space, brick and mortar business, uh, things get complicated. Not complicated, but you know, there's different decisions and financial obligations that. Got you. Um, and uh, is it the last step or something more is there? Uh, that's sort of the last step of where you're going to go. And then from there, it, it kind of goes into the next process of, you know, so if you're in the course, we don't, if you're going to open a brick and mortar, you don't need to know about solo entrepreneur and online. If you're mm -hmm. going online, you don't. So there's different modules as far as mm. that goes for the future, as far as where you go. So those initial steps of getting to the launch and where you're selling your product and then decision time, where are you going to go? Uh, versus I think a lot of times people do it backwards. They say, oh, I've got this perfect space. They lease the space and now they're in, right? They can't get out of this. They've signed a lease versus having this set up where you, you go through this formula that's step-by-step -step that lets you know if this is a viable business and do you actually want to go the route of opening a brick and mortar? Great. Chris, yeah. let's wrap, the, wrap this uh, interview with uh, the idea of uh, tell, uh, tell us some questions uh, key advice what would you give to the listeners of uh, what can they do right now uh, in their business to make the most out of 2021 uh i really so if you already have a business i really do think 2021 is going to be this year of opportunity and i think there's going to be opportunities for us to expand uh, there's going to be opportunities with partnerships I hope if you own a business, you're building a list or collecting people's emails. I think having that direct relationship with the customer, having, you know, building that customer loyalty is really important. Uh, you know, for a lot of small businesses, uh, for a long time, the brand, uh, I wasn't involved in the brand. And when COVID hit, I stepped back in and I'm on all the social media posts and I'm, you know, I involved my daughter and I involved my dog in the videos. And so I became the brand again of building the business. So you, you know, be actively involved in engaging in your customers. I think this, the era of the faceless sort of brand mm -hmm. is sort of going away. I think people want more of a human connection. Mm -hmm. And so be involved in your business, even if you're not necessarily the service provider, be the person on video talking about it. Uh, be the person who, when, if people go to your business in person, they see you there and knowing your customers. So I think having that presence and being part of the brand is a great strategy for 2021. Uh, looking for ways to expand your business uh, and absolutely just building that list. You build the list. The list will save your business. Mm, great advice. And for people who are starting out, what advice can you give? 
you know, I would say right away, uh, get on social media and join Facebook groups, create a Facebook group. I, I created mm-hmm. a startup club for people who want to start business and, and start building an audience and say, what do people want? What, what are people's frustrations? People don't necessarily know you have to be starting a business, but if you're doing anything, green energy, fashion, music, find an audience and find out what it is they want. And over the course of time, you might see, well, who's really into this? Who seems really passionate? Who's participating? Uh, you know, how old are they? Where are they located? How are they looking for this service? You know, engage with them on a regular basis, engage with them with video, talk to people, see what people want. And that's, that's no cost. You know, that's nothing. That's just time working with people. Exactly. And I, I believe to addition to this idea, become the consumer of your product. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and actually be the person like go into the business, starting from a mindset of a consumer where you consume or what you want and starting the Facebook group. Uh, don't try like for me, I believe, as you said it really well, um, starting the Facebook group become the consumer at first. So everything yeah. that you share and the community you're building build it around the passion for what you're doing, for what you're selling or what you're promoting or what you're getting to the world, like the service or the product or whatnot, become the, let's say, ambassador of that product. Start uh, talking about it from a consumer standpoint and be be passionate about it, share ideas about it, uh, write about it, from a like from a position where you, you like something and and yeah. you talk with friends about it you found something new about something you're passionate about what do you do you talk with people about it so do sure. the same for the business that you're building become the person who is passionate and is sharing the ideas just as you would be building a hobby and the community that you're building build a hobby environment for people who are also passionate about what you're doing if if for example you're a pizza restaurant launch a pizza restaurant uh, group but talk about pizza be passionate about pizza get involved with people in conversations about why pizza is the best food on earth and talk about that and the same thing with anything that you do become the loyal passionate ambassador of the product or service that you're providing, build an audience that is living that passion as well. They love it, they consume it, you're interacting with them, and that will become the so-called thousand people fan base. That's all you need for a forever, ever prosperous business. For sure, you know, and there's a a marketing person, I'm not sure who came up with it, uh, a direct marketing guy who said, you know, you need to enter the conversation people are having in their head. So if you're talking about pizza, join that conversation. You know, yeah. people are already talking about people are already talking about music. You want to join that conversation and participate in that conversation, and not be like, "Hey, guitar lessons again." Blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, just talk about your favorite guitarist and talk about how, oh yeah, I learned how to play this, or I was working on this, or I was teaching somebody this, and here's how I did it. It could be simple tutorials, you know. Uh, but participate in the conversation. You're not selling stuff yet, but you're establishing you're the expert and you're the knowledgeable guy. Hey, if I have a question, call up Chris. You know, so if there's guitar players, people call me up all the time. Mm-hmm. They're not clients. They'll shoot an email. Hey, some guitar player called. He saw you play somewhere. He wanted to know what you're doing. So give me his number. I'll call him up. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I saw you play at that fest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, what was that thing you were using? And it's like, oh, yeah, that would have been, you know, and it's like, you know, I'll do a video call with this person. It's like, you know, he'll, and he'll tell somebody about it. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy's great. You know, this guy's great. 
or just something like that. Or if someone's happy with what you're doing, you get something simple. Hey, you know, if you like that, you know, hey, could you write me a Google review? That'd be really awesome if you could give me a five-star Google review and just talk about what we did, you know, uh, I mean, anything, right? And you, you could benefit from it, you know, people will do things, but, you know, be the, be part of that conversation people are having. Super. Chris, tell me one last thing. Why and what for should people follow you in 2021? Uh, you know, I only, I didn't go to business school. So I've never taken, you know, I, I've based everything off learning by, you know, running a company. So I grew up working for my dad's small business and, and then running my company, you know, bootstrapping it from an apartment to hiring people. So I am the classic trial and error and reading business books and going to seminars and, you know, taking accounting classes and learning about bookkeeping and stuff like that. And so I don't have, I'm not like your traditional coach who just got into information marketing. Uh, you know, I'm an actual business owner and I, you know, I'll go to, I'll go to work every day, you know, and after this interview, uh, after we're done talking, I have some work to do to check on the summer camps that are promoting. I'm going to give online guitar lessons to a bunch of people Friday afternoon, Friday night. So I'm like actively in running a business. So when we're talking about how to respond to COVID, we have all these people talking about responding to COVID. I'm not going to give you a theoretical answer. I lived it. My business was shut down. I had to reopen. I, you know, uh, so I think that's the thing. When, you know, when, when you go on my website, if you see the videos, that's actually me talking unscripted. If you go on my Academy Music and Art website and I'm giving you the tour of my school and showing you how we're going to safely reopen, that's me and my graphic designer holding my iPhone, walking you through my actual space. So I actually really do it. You know, I actually, uh, I wrote the book. I don't have ghostwriters. Uh, when people coach with me or talk to me about music, it's actually really me. And uh, I think that's the one thing I really bring, you know, that I can't believe it's 30, over 30 years of business experience of bootstrapping it from, you know, making little flyers to running an enterprise uh, and all points in between. Beautiful. And what can people reach out to you for? Uh, so, for from a from a business coaching standpoint, uh, you can find me at chriswilsoncoaching.net. Uh, I concentrate on helping people with startups. Uh, anyone who, even if you're restarting your business because of COVID, so if you need help restarting your business because of marketing, maybe you had this great business that's been reduced. You know, it's down ninety percent or something. So if you need help uh, marketing your business, I have my book, Marketing During Tough Times: Low Cost Ways to Market Your Business. Or you need help with digital marketing, or any kind of, or even just a coach to give you advice to do things. Uh, so I'm available for any of that type of stuff. And the music industry things, uh, if you're in the Chicago area, or if you're interested online anywhere in the world, we have music, art, dance, theater classes, all sorts of things available for people of all ages. So either one of those, and you can find me at chriswilsoncoaching.net or on Facebook, you can look up Chris Wilson Coaching and the Music School Academy Music and Art or uh, academymusicandart.com on the website. Right. Thank you, Chris, for being with us. Uh, this is awesome, man. This was a great talk. Great. A fantastic, uh, rich in ideas, experiences, and golden nuggets conversation. For anything that's connected with Chris, you will be able to find it in the description below. Thank you, Chris, for being with us. Great being here.